0: this is space cats peace turtles the unofficial podcast for fantasy flights twilight imperium all right quiet on set here we go and let's go ahead and roll sound roll camera all right and when you're ready action cards part one music by ben prunty featuring matt martins and hunter donaldson
1: <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's like it right it? there. Yeah, that's really
0: good. Hunter, do you have a fun joke to tell right I now think, well, right we already did a
1: no, we already did a great goof We've done a great in goof. the in the episode title, uh uh-huh. which I wanna say for the record, uh I had to to force Matt to kicking and screaming <laughs> to do that. I was basically I mean it just happened, but I was like, hey, do it like you're on a real set and make fun of your livelihood. Um <laughs> And I want you to send it to your to your boss too, so that they know that you're that you should be fired, basically.
0: All right. I, I guess I'll I guess I'll do that.
1: Yeah, you're fired, dude. I gotta you gotta to move a job next week. Now you gotta move back to Portland and live on my couch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well uh what are we doing well, we do it today. What we have so God. much to talk about, actually, it is yeah. kind of ridiculous, and we probably should just get right to it. Yeah. But, uh, we
0: got th- we have three games to talk about. Three Patreon tournament games we got to cover. Then we're doing an episode that the Galactic Council voted on. Uh, To many people's dismay, uh, Homebrews did not win. Like, fourth week in a row that they came in second
1: place. Oh, losers.
0: Uh, So, uh, this week will be an episode about action cards. And actually, there's so much to cover. We've already, before even recording, decided this is definitely a two-parter. So, we will do action cards this week and next week. Uh, so yeah, it's too much. It's, it's too much. Too much. To talk about. First things first, though. We got to dig. Well, into wait, this. wait, no, no, no. Ooh, before, what?
1: before that, before that, I want to just say something that will definitely seal it for uh, for homebrew. Oh, okay. Next time, sure. Um, I don't want to do homebrew. <laughs> <laughs> so suddenly so,
0: the whole the worlds will align and every we'll get a hundred percent votes on homebrew now what homebrew i've learned uh, do it.
1: yeah right right so that's what i'm saying is that i figured out that the the way to get something to happen is to let <laughs> everybody know that i don't want to do it um but i really don't i'm not lying this isn't reverse this isn't psychology uh i don't i just don't i'm like ugh, i got nothing for that so yeah. uh because what, that's the whole thing, is TI4, it's not a homebrew game anymore. It's like, right. it's a prepared, you know, the chef made Hunter, it. Hunter, knock
0: it off. We're not talking about homebrew right now. Right, right, That's not right. the topic. And in right. fact, we're going to continue not to talk about the topic, because again, we have three games we have to dig into, and if I know you and I, Hunter, we're going to find tangents to go off on, and this is going to take a long time. Uh, so, what do you say? Should we, should we talk about game three first? Yeah, let's, let's, talk, let's talk about game three. Game uh, three it, was last Sunday. Uh, right, a lo- so a long, a long time, time ago,
1: and I don't remember it because yeah. I didn't see hardly any of it.
0: There's going to be a lot of details we miss, but I'm going to run through kind of my notes here, and we'll we'll just talk through the the highlights. Uh, of course, there is an actual highlight reel you can go watch on our YouTube. Just search Space Cats Peace Turtles on YouTube, um, and there's the full video as well. Uh, so you can watch the entire game if you want, or you can watch the highlight reel that Root put together. But here's kind of our here's here's my overview of the game uh, and the draft. The Ghost of Krius got the Slice of Gashly, which I was very excited about, mostly because I'm just I can't wait to see someone get War Sons. Uh, I'll go ahead and spoil it. Ghosts never got War sons this game, but I was certainly, um, you know, shaking in my britches about the idea of Ghosts with Suns and Slice of the Gashly. Like, yeah, I,
1: I was able to play Ghosts and Slice of the Gashly for the holiday spectacular. Yeah, so go check true. that out in the standard yeah. game, which I don't think the silly game is up yet. No, the silly
0: game is in quite disarray yeah the silly um,
1: game is very silly um, but this, this was a but solid it's fun it w- it's game. it's fun to play ghosts in that yeah slice. I it's just a good slice that. for them
0: i mean it's a slice of gaslight is kind of always a fun slice right like yeah. whoever is there has like interesting diso- decisions they get to make decisions um, <laughs> decisions so <laughs> the rest of the factions it was sar l1 barony necro ghosts and Asarl. so like this is more in line with like the typical what we expect from our draft, right? I mean, SAR is sort of the outlier. Hard yeah. to pre- I, I expect SAR to get banned pretty often, but you know, every once in a while they're going to make it through, and here was a perfect example of that. But the rest of those factions, that's, that's a typical draft. It, when, yeah, when you listen I to agree. our draft episode, those are the factions Hunter and I draft. Right. Um, also worth noting, three of the factions were in the exact same slice as the game the day before. Uh, yeah. So Isaril in Dangerous Diplo, uh da, 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 barony in fast and cultured and necro mm-hmm. in little and tight so those three factions were all three in the exact same uh slice when we talk about game 4 asarl ended up in dangerous diplo again so three games for asarl and all three of the games they've been in dangerous diplo so that yeah. weird weird thing happening there i'm i'm kind of curious to look into the numbers there to figure out why that keeps happening um i guess it's just based on when Sarl tends to get picked. But in one of those games, Asarl was first pick. I don't know. It's crazy. But let's get into round one. Uh, round
1: one. Oh, no, 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 no. One, no, what? one more thing. Where okay. was L1 and where was SAR?
0: So uh, basically, here, here's the rundown of game three Ghosts were in Slice of the Gash Line. Necro was in Little and Tight. Fast and Cultured was the Barony of Letnev. Big and Tight was SAR uh darian slice was l1z1x and dangerous diplo was a so there's your clockwise look at all of the the factions so i mean everyone that's all solid down down the whole run um nobody that i'm like crazy uh, terrified of being in that slice right like sar and big and tight isn't anything that's like worth writing home about um l1 in darian slice that's a yellow skip so that's useful uh yeah
1: I, I was excited about i
0: mean is Isar- and dangerous diplo i don't know what keeps gravitating Asarls towards there the the blue skip i guess to get gravity drive is good but like a also usually wants anti-mass so you know I, I don't see it being like the best slice for a barony and fast and cultured with a blue and a red skip that's notable obviously uh, yeah now i that being said barony kind of wants to get gravity drive anyways but you could skip uh, but then the red skip even more so is is kind of a big deal for them. Uh, and Necro in little and tight, I like because Necro is just looking to get a, a tight game, you know, the, the have 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 your resources for one thing and your influence for another thing. And it's very clearly delineated. I guess it's it's fine. I don't think that's like the best. I don't think of that as a notable matchup, but I think it's good enough.
1: I mean, since Necro doesn't have that tech interaction, there's not right. really like there's a not specific much to spot consider. to right. put it there because they're all pretty much even outside of that. Right. Um, I was. I want to say something I was excited about. Uh, we had uh, Joey uh, who yeah. was in the Gen Con finals. Finals, that's right.
0: Joey was uh, a SAR player in Gen Con in both of his games, so we were really excited to see SAR get through, and we thought Joey might get him. He ended up being third pick. Uh, he missed mm-hmm. out on both l one or was it L1 or was it Sarl that he said were his top two factions? It was definitely Sar, And then he missed out on his second faction. I think it was a Sarl. So he, he ended up. Oh, no, because he was L1. Yeah, no. he
1: ended up as L1. Yeah, yeah. So
0: Joey ended up as L1 missing out on his first two options, his, his two favorite picks. But we were going into this with a lot of high hopes for Joey because we've seen him play before more than most of these other players. Uh, yeah, not just see him play, but see him play in a competitive like I really care about winning level. So, yeah, yeah. we were we were pumped and we kind of knew what to expect out of him. Um, Round one, uh, the ghosts were obviously doing the ghost thing of trying to get to Jason to Mechatol Rex. That was one of the first agendas or uh, objectives. And they were really the only ones equipped to do that. Uh, Nobody else really seemed to be pushing for it. But ghosts were very obviously looking to get that point out of the way. Uh, But they also took trade to kind of make all of that movement look peaceful. Right. So they were parking destroyers like above people's planets in their slices you know like above tarman or Thibba or whatever it was but like hey i'm putting this here so i can trade obviously yes i'll get the victory point but they they managed to make themselves look like a peaceful faction they were kind of taking that jensen approach approach to ghosts where it's like do not look like a mean aggressor right off the bat do everything in your power to look like a nice guy
1: yeah yeah
0: uh the l1 got a reactor meltdown round one and he was adjacent to Sar. And there was a. There, for for multiple rounds, he did not use this reactor meltdown. And we kept in the commentary just like waiting and waiting and waiting to see him play it against Saar. But the problem was L1, which was Joey, was very clear about he did not want to give the Saar any reason to turn his attention towards him. He, he was trying to make lots of deals with Saar and trying to keep Saar appeased so that Saar would go the other direction towards Barony. Um, and yeah, I. I it was kind of sad because obviously you want to see reactor meltdown get used on Sar early, but it never came out because Joey was just like, I, "If I do this action card on him, he's going to turn all of his might against me." And Sar ended up with a pretty decent Sar ball at the end of round one, and in round two it increased, so wasn't worth um, poking the nest, as it were, the 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 bees' hive. Um, so then by the end of round one, everyone except for Asarl and Sar had scored. Uh, so we had everyone at one point going into round two. Uh, Sar, here's when he starts really getting work done. He negotiated ceasefire trades with Barony, which especially interesting and terrifying for L1. But then he started trying to negotiate with L1 to do support for the throne swap. So what Sar was saying is I don't want to go for either of my neighbors. I want to carve through the middle of the map. Um, and he made it really clear that he was moving towards Mechatol Rex, uh, in round one. So, uh, he doesn't end up getting a support for the throne swap battle L1. L1 was rightfully afraid of SAR and didn't want to just like give him a point. but instead, L1 got Saar's support for the throne and uh, did the gave up his faction promissory note as well as his trade agreement. Uh, so effectively one stra- one free strategy counter for Saar and just two trade goods, which honestly, that's a pretty small deal for uh, support for the throne. L1 yeah, got a point I, I and gave agree. up one strategy counter and two trade goods. That's nothing. Uh, and Necro had some issues round two, if you remember, Hunter.
1: Um, he, I don't he, remember this.
0: He needed to make stabs out. And maybe I'm mistaking this with game two as well, But but Necro... Uh, was not getting the tech that they needed. Uh, he he went to launch some attacks and they didn't go his in his favor, and he ended up falling kind of behind early on because he just wasn't getting, you know, he didn't get gravity drive early. That's like hugely important for Necro. Uh, lots of other, you know, he has he has uh, ghosts to his right. There's really great juicy tech that's going to be coming out of ghosts, but he mm-hmm. he had a few failed attacks and then his positioning was getting off a little bit and he, he started to have a really rough go those early rounds. Um, round three is when sar was on Mechatol Rex, and picked last in speaker order, but still got Imperial. Nobody blocked Saar from getting Imperial round three, which hey. is, yeah, kind of scary and a little weird, um, even though uh, I think Saar went off to have, like, a secret conversation with someone, and everybody started remarking, like, hey, Saar is a problem, and we need, to, we need to mess with him, but, like, nobody was willing to be the person to actually take the first stab, you know, basically that was the problem. Sar got a Sar ball really fast and it became a thing of like, Sar's a problem. Who's going to deal with that? Is it going to be you? Is anybody, any takers, please somebody else besides me deal with Sar. And just like, <laughs> nobody was willing to take the mantle to, to do anything about it, which means Sar basically got another round of uh, getting away with things. Uh, L1 ended up giving a ceasefire to a and um, Sar did not have a swing round despite having Imperial. He kind of took it easy um later it it, it kind of looked more like he he did it intentionally um opted to not get as many points as he could have just because it's like I'm Sar I do not need to have that big of a swing right now I don't need everyone to absolutely turn their attention towards me right, I need to right. stay in the pack a little bit um and then Barony actually lets Sar get away from mechatol Rex um by not popping a ceasefire and After round three, there was kind of just like some weird posturing going on around Mechatorex, but then Ixthian Artifact came out. So everything stopped mattering (laughs) because the bomb went off and uh, yeah, everything died in Mechatorex and around Mechatorex. Um, I don't even remember how like how many resources worth of things were lost, but definitely go watch, you know, those highlights. I guarantee you that's in the highlight reel. Round four uh everyone decides well it's time rex is ripe for the plucking so everyone starts posturing around it but sar technically still controls it despite it being empty and nobody jumped on it for like just nobody really had like the movement to just go ahead and take it and and nobody wanted to be the one to take it. i don't know it was a very weird round where everyone was just kind of going for other objectives um uh <laughs> everyone started using the Creus iff and ended up surrounding sar's home system with an alpha and a beta wormhole So basically everyone was starting to put more and more figurative pressure on SAR. But once again, Mm -hmm. like nobody was going through the wormholes. Nobody was starting to scoop up SAR's planets. Nobody was dealing with the SAR problem. It was just kind of like, all right, I'm going to give you guys a wormhole so you can do something about it. Any takers? No? Okay, cool. Um, I'm
1: just I'm just wondering, was this uh Sar staying in their own slice or Yeah, for the
0: most part. He 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 said he was gonna go through Mechatol and then onward to, you know, other ventures, but then like he kind of pulled back at one point and then the Ixthian went off, so he had to kind of rebuild in his slice. So this is a SAR that's <laughs> kind of gotten holed up in his slice and is now gonna need to rebuild and choose a new direction or choose something new to do. Um Zendog, who was our who was zen zen was ghosts mm, i'm forgetting exactly who was doing who uh but everyone was having secret conversations with uh Zendog, dog and everyone's trying to figure out how best to deal with Mechatol Rex and sar but it just never felt like a plan was being made it, again it was just everybody talking about the sar problem and not doing zen do- Zendog was ghosts ghosts thank you um so Round five. Now we're ending, entering late game territory, right? Round five is where things always seem to pop off, especially on this tournament map. Man, how many games now have we seen where it's like we keep saying the hot potato is such an important factor in these. Well, every these final everybody,
1: two like uh, a lot of the games we're going to talk about today, ended with every single player being in striking distance, yep. Yep. which I would define as like six and above, right? Um, So uh, six six or above in the late game that is right once the the stage twos comes out, uh so it becomes very difficult like when we're commentating, uh I don't know how if that's how it was in this game I I I gather it was but in uh, game four and game five. Uh, We spent a lot of time being like, okay, so-and-so has it. No, it's got to be so-and-so. And And then it just kept switching over and over and over. Because every action impacts
0: the board positioning and what people actually have access to. And then sometimes, you know, a couple times there's been a couple mistakes that completely change everything. And, uh, I mean, if I'm going to do any soapbox at the end of all of this, it's every player... Every player can make mistakes, no matter how good you are. You make mistakes in Twilight Imperium. That is part of the game. It's like you right. are putting up with so many rules and so many things to remember that at some point you're not going to do what was most optimal. Mm-hmm. And lots of times that mistake is what completely changes the context of how you can try to win. Um, yeah. and, and no one is immune from that. And that's, that is like the key <laughs> to winning a game of Twilight Imperium is like, hoping that your mistakes do the least amount of damage to you or finding ways to recover from your mistakes yeah um, rolling
1: with the punches right, basically right
0: uh, yeah. so going into this this round 5 sar has a clear uh, uh, like a, ha, has an obvious route to victory but it's like a one of those slim shots like oh man they got to accomplish multiple things basically they needed to bombard some planets they needed to get enough they, they needed to finish their two tech and two colors and then they had an option of either Finding a sixth planet on the board or attacking the player with the crown of Amphidia, who I believe was Barony? Is that right? Or is that a sorrel? I'm getting a there's been so many crown of amphidias in these games that I'm starting they're all starting to run together to right. me. Um Barony gets scored their final secret, and they were really quickly running out of like objectives they could possibly score. Um Six planets and two Tekken four colors was a stage two that they just there was no way they were going to qualify for that basically ever. Um, L one Z one X ended up actually extorting a support for the throne out of Asarl, which put him in the distance for the win. Again, this is this is how we're equating these like hot potatoes, right? As soon as L one threatened Asarl and got a support for the throne, oh shoot, now L one has a path to victory. And um, right. uh, attacking there there was an attack that L one needed to do, and he ended up attacking Necro's homeworld. And that took away the chance, right? This this is where I remember Hunter, you were back at this point. Uh, you missed some of the middle of the game, but this is where things got really weird, right? Th- this is where like we basically started to see mistakes happen. Yeah, um, Necro, needed to get two tech and four colors. He was kind of the only one who had an option, but he had a couple failed attacks. Asaro uh, jumped on Mechatol Rex, and then uh, before playing Imperial, uh, man, there's just so much in this round, and it's it's too much to even remember all of the specific intricacies of like what was going on. But if you watch that video, you're gonna hear us like talking through every possible opening that each person just gained to to win it. Um and then there was a classified document leaks agenda that opened up the four tech in one color secret. So then we had to evaluate okay who could possibly get four tech in one color because now that's a public objective. And uh Necro ended up they needed one tech left for the two tech and four colors and they ended up getting it off of an agenda. So they that Stopped them from having to carry out an attack in the next round and guaranteed them a two-pointer, uh, going into round six. So round six is, of course, like when games always end. It seems like I feel like every single round of this tournament has ended either round six or action phase of round seven. That has mm-hmm. so far been, uh, I think, every single game. Uh, round six necro's got it right this is this is where we're thinking okay all necro has to do is is like it was like two attacks or one attack or whatever he took diplo so that he could go early and uh score in the status phase uh but what happened was he he needed to attack first right uh there, there was an attack he needed to launch so that he could stop uh flagship from getting away right Someone's oh, flagship right, was right, in right. his home system. L1's flagship was in Necro's home system and Necro needed to kill a home, a flagship or something like that. Um, and instead of attacking that right away before it could get away, he used Diplo and he used Diplo not on his home system to lock the flagship down, but instead to Diplo a Freya, which he later did realize was a, a mistake. He was basically kicking himself after the game for not Diploing his home system because he easily could have done that. Uh, then joey with his flagship in necro's home system ended up leaving but staying near necro and took out half of necro's fleet so now necro's running out of ships that he's even going to be able to use to kill this flagship and that's his own that that's the only way necro can win this game is if he kills that flagship um after a couple rounds of like things happening necro finally does kill the flagship but Sar ends up getting an open opportunity because all he needs to do is invade a home system, bombard a planet. There's one planet with one ground force in a oh, home right. system. He needed to bombard and then take the planet to get the crown of Amphidia. So two points was going to give Sar the win. Now this is where every player was doing secret conversations back to back to back to back. Uh, our barony player Uh, was having a secret conversation with everyone because he had a path to victory with Imperial, but it was a very long shot. So he was, like, offering support for the thrones to people. Like, he was making it happen. The only problem is he just needed these two other players not to win before him. Um, And Necro had a guaranteed win as long as he didn't lose his home system that he didn't Diplo, and then he also needed to build uh, infantry off of warfare, basically, to protect it. But... Basically, what happened is Chris uh, Kraken, as our SAR player, um, what did he do? He lied to someone to get this victory. He, he straight up... Everyone. Oh, here's what it was. Everyone saw Necro as the target, and everyone agreed, all right, we're all going to attack Necro. And Chris had the best fleet, actually, to go take out Necro, and so there were secret conversations happening, and people took Chris into the other room and said, Chris, you got to attack that. And Chris was like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll do what I can. <laughs> and then when it came to Chris's turn, he invaded Asarl's home and bombarded the planet and got the Infidia, and uh, that was it. Like he, he basically lured them all into this false sense of security, saying, right. like, yes, Necro is definitely our big target, and then just... Snuck a victory out from under them because he, they, they had stopped paying attention to him. So a game where everybody watched Sar the whole time, but never did anything about it. And then in the end, that's how he got his win was when people turned their direction, their, their attention away from him, right out from under their noses, he steals the win.
1: So the win was Kraken uh, playing as the clan of in uh, Big and which- tight. In big and tight. So if you're keeping track thus far, we've had an extra win. We've had a Barony of Letnev win. Yep. And now we've had a S- Clan of Sar win. Right. No repeats
0: uh, of for slices or factions so nude.
1: far. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that looks right. Um I uh, actually did not see any of this game. I think I think maybe you're you're misremembering because that was uh, yeah game you three. You were here actually, for the end. Okay, I I only saw the very beginning. Got um, it. I did not see any of this. Uh, and I re- what I remember of this game was you messaging me. Oh this yeah. This has <laughs> thus far been the longest game in the tournament. Uh yeah, this was uh, an eleven hour game. Yeah, which uh, is a long one by a lot at this point, uh, right? Yeah. Like, well,
0: no, yesterday was a ten hour game, so.
1: Was it really? Jeez. Yeah,
0: I'm uh am working on being a better moderator and finding ways to speed these games up because actually it's ridiculous how long some of these games have been and so we've been we've been changing things up. Today's game was significantly shorter, thank goodness. Yeah, uh, I think it clocked in at about six and a half hours or so. Um, so we're getting back into reasonable territory here. Um,
1: yeah. Uh, but uh, I'll I'll say this. Uh, I'm excited that uh i played with Kraken before. Yeah, we've I actually Kraken- I played. We've both played played with with Kraken. Kraken,
0: when we played with him, he was also Clan of Saur in that game. And that's when he put this same kind of pressure on me for the whole first part of the game. Except for this one, he was much nicer to his neighbors. In our game with Kraken, (laughs) he just completely wiped out my whole slice pretty much and just was gutting into me the whole game. Um, So,
1: Yeah, he really got you.
0: (laughs) He held me over a barrel. Well, Mm -hmm. should we move on to game uh, four? Should we talk about yeah, game four? Yeah, let's
1: talk let's talk about game four. That was yesterday's game. Yesterday's game. Uh, we're recording um, this on Sunday. So so Saturday's the, game. The highlight video just came out for game yes. four. Um so um, and, you have and that. To at watch. the
0: time of this episode coming out, um, the full game video is either about to come out or will have just come out. Um, so we're kind of like on the on the window there of of when this video will come out. So stay tuned, probably uh, within the next day or so, you should have the full game for game four. Yeah. Um, the huge thing to note for game four was completely different draft than we've seen so yeah, far. Yeah, the,
1: the draft logic completely flipped, and yep. instead it was about drafting in all of the strongest all factions the strong. that you yeah. possibly all could. All the
0: bands were weak factions. There wasn't a single right. strong faction left out of the initial bands. Uh, and we, here's who we ended up seeing in the game um, so that we can just skip to, the, to that part. Uh, in Slice of the Gashly was the Universities of Jolnar... Uh, highly regarded as the best slice highly regarded as the best faction jolnar slice of the gashly uh, mm-hmm. little and tight was the federation of soul fast and cultured was the emirates of hakan big and tight was the clan of sar again so another repeat there uh mm-hmm. darian slice was the mentak and dangerous diplo was another game with a in dangerous diplo so yeah. essentially i mean five of these factions are all of our top well, almost all of our top five factions. Four, four of them are in our top five. Hakan and Mentak are the kind of outliers here. Right. But Hakon but- regarded pretty well by most people, and Mentak was. A, I loved the Mentak choice here because Mentak was specifically left in as a counter to almost every single faction. Right, right. If we think Sar about it.
1: Sar and Hakan, especially.
0: Sar and Hakan, especially, because Mentak can steal trade goods from both of them. Every time Sar takes a new planet, as long as they're above three. Mentak's getting those goods. Uh, Soul, Soul's carrier, too, with sustained damage. If Mentak gets the fourth moon on the board, doesn't care about that. That's probably the weakest counter. Uh, Jolnar, Erez Siphons, gets stolen one of those every single time it gets used. Um, Right. And Asarl, you know, I guess Mentak doesn't have a hard counter on Asaurl either, but uh, is just a strong faction that kind of wins in a similar way to Mentak. They're playing essentially the same game, which is like sneaky get ships where you don't think they're going to be kind of play. Right. So yeah, um Nalu was the only strong ban. I said there weren't any. We did see a Nalu ban and that was the only player who like was thinking on that lines and then as soon as everyone revealed what they were left in, it was like, "Oh, no one was thinking the way I was thinking." Uh Right. Well, so, it's crazy yeah.
1: that they were all thinking that way because right. that's right. they really all held, you know, held strong basically. Right. Right. Um I want to point something out, you just you you pointed out that uh, Jolnar, widely regarded as the best faction, is in size, slice of the Yeah. which I would normally agree. I think is like the one of the more exciting slices, if not the most exciting. Mm-hmm. But for Jolnar in particular, it didn't really feel that way. Because no, because it, it's it, like it doesn't the,
0: solve Jolnar's problems, right? No, it doesn't do slice anything. of the gashly is good because anyone could get war sons. Um, yeah, but
1: Jolnar is already
0: kind of like I can get the war sons. I'm fine. Um, yeah. So yeah, and, and like. Okay, Aaron Amir gets them two extra command counters. That's helpful, but honestly, for Jolnar, I do think kind of resources is the the bigger problem you need to solve, right? You want six resources so you can double tech for the first few rounds, get ahead on your upgrades, and you need to be pumping out units because you need to win through numbers, (laughs) uh, if you wanna win any combats because you're not gonna like the your minus one is is gonna hurt you. So especially ground forces. You you gotta get ground forces down in a major way.
1: Not to say that Joelnar had a problem with resources in this game. No. That was not the case at no, all. Certainly not. Res. Right. Uh but let's let's get into it. What was what was that round 1 like?
0: Uh round 1, Sar with the speaker token. Uh Hunter, what is what does the Clan of Sar do if they get the speaker token usually? What is the Warp, what is the Warp play? It. Yes. Warfare. Every warfare, because you've got two carriers and a space dock that you can split up in a million different directions. Someone's done the math on it. I forget exactly who it was. Maybe it was Zen. Maybe it's... I'm not sure. But there, are, you can essentially take, like, 12 systems in round yeah. one or 12 planets. I think it's 12 it's planets uh, in round one as SAR if you have, like, everything... Ta- that's the magic Christmas land for SAR, right? The more average, especially on our map, it would be impossible to do 12 planets on, on our map. Um, But you could easily take every single planet in your slice and be next, you know, be be prepared to dig into other people's slices or something. Um, But no, this SAR went with construction. First pick. Um, Now, this wasn't a stupid play because SAR started with the secret objective that he needed three space docks. So. You know, I don't loathe this pick beyond the fact that it's just like, oh my gosh, Sar has so much more potential round one. But this is sort of another situation where we look at a Sar player going, I'm opting to hold myself back in these first two rounds because I do not need to look like the earliest target because I'm already going to look that way to a certain extent. So I need to keep myself back a little bit and just build up and be prepared to swing later. I think is the mentality kind of taking hold with our. I got players.
1: I got the logic of the play, but I, I always get disappointed when so there's there's this this case which I'd never seen someone do this before, but I think the most common one is more than once now I've seen an extra kingdom with a speaker token take diplomacy right, uh, and it just I just I just can't help but feel like it's just kind of a waste. So yeah. Uh, actually, we saw that in the in the very first game. Uh, of the tournament we saw an extra with the speaker token take diplomacy now that same extra actually went on to win the game so obviously i'm an idiot but
0: obviously they didn't win because of that diplomacy round one pick. of course anything too i'm starting to feel like the round one picks are not as big of a deal as like we did the round one strategy guides and it's like important to go into round one with a plan but more and more your game is not decided round one
1: no, Or no, more so
0: not. the success of your game is not decided round one. Now, if you have a disastrous round one, that can define the rest of your game as a loss. But right. I don't think you win the game in round one.
1: And I think there is a certain logic that I'm starting to see that some players have that is more about round one, not necessarily racing at breakneck speed right. to the objective, but right. more about like investing in future rounds. Yes, yeah. um,
0: I, I I'm starting to it's been so long since you, you or I have played because we're just like watching games. Every yeah. Single and weekend. like, when
1: are we going to get to play? Again? Yeah. Jesus. But I'm
0: really anxious to start playing where part of me wants to not even care about points the first two rounds, because if you can find a way to guarantee yourself an imperial pick and you plan for that imperial pick, you can do a swing round and like you right. can always catch yourself up with a swing round. Yeah. So part of me wants to start making a point to like. Do whatever I need to. Round one, round two, get politics like make that part of the plan ingrained in all of this, or at the very least get politics for round three. But like, I would love to have round three imperial and then get all my points at once. Like, basically make up for all my lost time in the first two rounds. That is something that right. makes sense to me nowadays. Um, just seeing yeah. all these other players play.
1: Um, yeah, uh, I I I do want to say though, like the the point of me bringing this up is that like I it, it made me a little bit grumpy. A little bit right. uh, to see the speaker take uh, construction, uh, which effectively kind of tossed the speaker, that kind of first pick, to Mentak, yep. uh, who I was afraid was going to take diplomacy round right. one. And then I was just going to be like, all right, well, I quit. I'm not going to watch this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Mentak did not uh, no. go for that.
0: Uh, Mentak got tech deck. round one. So it ended up getting a Sorrow uh, Warfare. Yeah. Um, so the nice. next thing of note here is Jolnar ended up with Trade, which... This was a huge round one for our Jolnar. Uh, Jolnar played very friendly, um, which at a table where every faction is great, um, Jolnar doesn't look like the obvious favorite, right? Jolnar is good, but when Sar and Soul and Asarl are all there, right. it's like uh, Jolnar's on equal footing, more or less. Right. Um, and so the fact that he was playing so nice, I mean, that turned him into the favorite, right? I mean, He, he was... He got trade convoys from Hakan, round one, mm-hmm. so there's kind of an argument that Jolnar became better than H- Hakon round one because now he can trade con- he can trade research agreement with anyone he wants at any point. He does not need to be neighbors with anybody. And he did out. trade it many. And many, many he traded many times. research agreement a lot right. uh, and made lots of money. Made lots of promises. Made- he got so much out of research agreement as well as just any and all deals. He had four commodities. He s- and Sol both had four. Hakan was six. You know, Jolnar is like tied for best trading race at this point with Hakan in my mind. So, Jolnar had a huge round one in terms of the meta and like setting himself up for success later on down the road because of Mm -hmm. how much he got done. Uh, Round two continued that trend, more and more friendly deals. And every time Jolnar was getting the favorable side of a deal, was this the game where I started getting annoyed because Jolnar would always say, a deal was one way but then was clearly better for him despite like he he managed to make trades sound like he was getting the lower end of the deal when he was obviously getting the better end. Yeah,
1: that that was happening a lot. Uh he was he was very very good at that. Uh his name was uh Jay Nor. Yeah. Uh he was very good at making a deal sound like uh like I don't just kind of even towards him right. when actually he was just getting something great. But right. like he just it just goes to show you that like Jolnar with with that promissory note has so much to offer other players. Exactly, um, almost more so than Hakon because Hakan just has a little more money to offer. But like Jolnar can help you get victory what, points. Exactly, basically. exactly.
0: There's so much more utility in what Jolnar has to offer than yeah, just Hakon's yeah. money. Um, we saw a weird play by Mentak this game where they got anti mass first. I remember you especially were not a big fan of that. Um, He didn't move down yellow. Uh, He he had gotten Cruiser 2 out of the way, I believe, or did we? I can't even quite remember, but I know we were not a huge fan of his anti mass pick. Um, Oh, here the reason was because he had the secret objective of getting four in one color, which for Mentech is usually like, oh, yeah, I'm doing that already. Like, I'm running down yellow, so I can't wait to just go ahead and do this, but then to get anti-mass in round two and sort of stall out the fact that you're ever going to get that secret objective was, was really rough in my head of just yeah. like,
1: what, what's Mentech going to do from here. If he's not going for that. Mentech had kind of a rough go of it. They had a really interesting opportunity that I really liked, um, which was that uh, they parked a cruiser in the, uh, in the gravity rift yeah. next to uh, Tassar's to slice. That's right. Um, so my thought was that they were going to pillage, all of Sar's like scavenging, right? Which is like really cool. And yes. I was like, this is great. This is, this so is such a good idea. This is why you're here. Uh, this is
0: why Mentek is on the at this table. Right.
1: right. But then kind of deal making won the day. And I believe they traded what oh he traded uh promise of protection. Yeah, he gave to promise Sar. of protection
0: away right away to SAR. Um yeah. and I forget
1: what he got out of it. I think he may have gotten a ceasefire
0: out of it. I believe it was ceasefire. So he was getting protection from SAR in return for
1: a promise for protection. So, I, I, so I mean, my head was—I was looking at his game, and I was—I was thinking that the direction of it was—and this is like, obviously, I'm not this player, and I don't know, like, I—I right. I I can't even remember everything. But in my head, I remember thinking, "Oh, this is about pillaging Sar a lot to yep. so that we're slowing down their early game. No one's and gonna." be mad at that. Everyone's right, gonna be like, good, right. Everybody's going to be star. like, good, good. You're going to slow them down a little bit. That's appreciated. And then going for mirror computing, just kind of like always. Right. Um, and we didn't see that, uh, we didn't really see that really go that direction. No. Uh, another thing that I thought was uh, not going as expected was Soul's game because Soul did not, um, they did not take the right, uh, they didn't take a high enough initiative yeah Uh, strategy card round two right and so they did not get to take mechatol rex right which i'm more and more i'm starting to get to the point where soul does have a big achilles heel because like i feel like soul just doesn't it doesn't really go that well if you don't have yeah mechatol rex If you don't
0: do the soul thing you've you've run out of like your best options at getting solid points
1: yeah like i actually think soul is kind of due for a reevaluation in everybody's hearts and minds right um Mostly because like if you think about the strategy for Soul thus far, a lot of the ways that we've even said it on the show is that you either go for Mechatol or you go for like some high value resource planet. But that doesn't really make sense because that second thing obviously isn't really gonna get you any points. Right. It's just a strong uh, so, position or whatever. Yeah. So like honestly, it's it's they're kind of to me in my head, kind of becoming a bit of a Mechatol Rex or Bust yeah type faction. Yeah. Because, I, I like, see that. basically, I mean, I guess they can go, and maybe it'll require uh, Soul players going more for, like, Dreadnought 2 yeah. and, like, actual fleets. Right. Because they, they still have a great tech path. But, yeah, I was a little bit, I did not see Soul have a great early game. Not yeah. to say that Soul got knocked out. Who got Sol that Sol Mechatol from
0: this game? Was it
1: Hakann? Uh I think Hakan
0: is the one that jumped on it right away.
1: I think so. Yeah, actually, I was really surprised. It was a very aggressive right. Hakan like that they, they moved very
0: quickly. Well, and it was a very clear play of like, I'm taking this point, yeah. and you could probably remove me. I, I just wanted the one point. I want to guarantee that I don't have to worry about one mm-hmm. point in this game. Because um, mm-hmm. it was like, you know, it's one of those like one carrier, a couple ground forces sort of thing. He did not send like his whole fleet to defend yeah. Mechatar Rex. Yeah, for he whatever. wasn't going to keep it. Right. And round three, he didn't. Sar jumped on Hakan at Mechatar Rex. And this was a game where we did see a uh, uh, a big sar play on mechatol. He he scored. It was it was five versus three or four. By this point, hakan had reinforced on mechatol a little bit, but uh, sar scored five hits in the very first round of invasion and completely wiped out the hakan ground force.
1: Oh uh, yeah, this is is not this the game where sar rolled like real like every time Saar needed good. to roll, they just rolled very very well. yeah almost yeah. yeah all the time. It was right. Insane.
0: And Hakan had an option there, too, to get three tech skips. He, he went for an attack on Tarman and may have been one of the only people with a three tech spec um, public objective score. But the the attack, I believe he just didn't quite take enough ground forces. I forget the exact instance of this, but I know he did not manage to take Tarman. And that really hurt his round. He lost Mechatol Rex and he didn't get like his other main point that was viable for him. Um, So, so a big, a big slowdown for Hakan that took like an an early strong position. Yeah. So round four, um, we start to see, uh, Sol taking Hakan's cultural planets. I'm trying to remember why all of this is important. These are just notes that I have written down. Um, cultural planets were a big deal. I think planet traits was out. Um, but more so everyone was posturing around Mechatol Rex because, uh, we got a late, um, uh, Too adjacent to Mechatol Rex objective. So round four was kind of defined by like, we're all sort of attacking each other or making deals with each other to set mm-hmm. up around Mechatol. And um, what that all ended up setting up for is everyone's scoring decently well, where I don't even have notes written down for round five because I know round five was the beginning of just the madness of the hot potato. It, it was all over the place round five and that continued into round six. Um, I don't know. How much do you remember from this uh, this nonstop hot potato pass, Hunter?
1: Um, I remember it basically, I remember feeling like uh, there were times when I, I felt like we looked at almost everybody. There was a lot of, yep. uh, I think Hakan has this. There was a lot of, I think, thinking Sar had it. I, I know when we realized that Jolnar had it, it was very solid finally. Right. But that,
0: and this is kind of how a couple games have worked out where it's like, it's anybody's game. It's anybody's game. And then in the, what's going to be like the last round of play is only when it becomes clear who it's going to be. Right. It's like, oh, Joel Nars next action wins them the game. And that's right.
1: It. And I do, I do remember that, uh, it, there was a stage two, uh, objective that came out that literally only Jolnar could claim right that was a big boon to their game. And I remember right. thinking like this is like this is this is one of those games where being Jolnar is really gonna make the difference because Master of Sciences came out. Yeah. And the second that came out it was like, okay, so jo- Jolnar's whole play is going to uh to to be about claiming that and going right. from there. Right.
0: Um, this is a big I- one that I would watch the highlight reel on because again, like the whole second half of the video is probably just us talking in round five and six about who's got the shot to win here. Um, right.
1: Yeah. I'm kind of even looking at it right now. And it's uh, it's it's so it's so ridiculous. Place. It's so ridiculous. It's too
0: much to, to, to like note every time it changed. Uh, there was a period where Jolnar failed a ground combat because they're Jolnar and their infantry suck. Um, and they didn't take a planet from Sar, and that would have been a game winner for them. They lost a space combat against Hakan. Like you said, it was Jolnar, and it was Sar, and it was Hakan, kind of all sharing this like, who's going to get it? Who's going to get it? Um, and in the end, it was a Jolnar victory. Jolnar yep. for Janar, uh, Janor, Jolnar, and the Slice of the Gashlai came out with a victory in game four. Uh, also, which...
1: it, it's worth noting that diplomacy was the the pick to end the game on right um that was that was uh i don't know if it came down to initiative i'm not sure that it did but uh diplomacy was just a handy final strategy card which i think has been a theme yeah uh that diplomacy card really does like it's a very important. back into being super important there at the end yeah um and it totally it totally played a hand in uh in game yeah it's a, it's a
0: game definer in that final round especially if you play it right if you play it wrong it's it's like uh uh-oh now we're in trouble um so we should talk about today's game we're already we're already getting pretty deep into this episode but today's game is much more fresh on the mind we just got done with this game about three hours ago two hours or so ago um so what is so if if game four was defined by very powerful factions hunter what would you say
1: defines game five i think it was the weirdest draft we've had yes um And in a good way, in a way that made me excited, because I would say it was kind of half, it was like, so you know how uh, in game four, we were just saying that like, it's remarkable that five of those players kind of came in with the exact same mindset. Um, I would say game five, the theme of the draft. Was that no one really had the same mindset at yeah, all.
0: Yeah, it was no, game four. People were talking about it. It became it, like when when many big factions were revealed, everyone was like, oh, we have to draft good factions because we can't let there be one great faction. We need to counterbalance it with all, and the players discussed that, and it became a a point of, um, that's how I love to see the drafts happen. Mm -hmm. I want the players to talk about it. And yeah, nobody talked during today's draft. It just happened to everybody. It just appeared. And the big note is that we had a Winu pick today. Uh, Winu made it into the final seven and then was picked. Uh, It was basically between, realistically, it was between Winu or Arborek, and they chose Winu um, in uh, Little and Tight, uh, we yeah. also had x in Slice of the Gashly, Necro in Fast and Coulthard, uh Hakan in Big and Tight, Mentak in Darien Slice. Second game in a row with Mentak and Darien Slice. That mm-hmm. yellow skip on Wellen is is sort of the seal of the good. deal thing. It's good. Um, and then we had Barony in Dangerous Diplo, which I love Barony in Dangerous Diplo. We didn't talk about this, but there's a blue skip in there if they need it. But more importantly six resources in your home system and then five resources immediately next to your home system. You are so fat and happy as a barony. Yeah. You feel really secure. Yeah. You're really secure. You would feel the same in little and tight. So I would offer the same recommendation there, but, but you don't need the green skip as much in little and tight. And that blue Mm -hmm. skip can be useful for you if you decide to use it. Um, so, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed seeing Barony and dangerous Diplo. um, Round one was I would say pretty standard, not especially noteworthy except for what excited me was the prospect that Mentak and Hakan both swapped their racials. So Mentak was now able to trade with anybody and Hakan didn't need to worry about the thorn in their side with Mentak. They were, uh, they were adjacent to each other. So Hakan knew they were just gonna have to deal with Mentak the whole game unless they got this out of the way. Um, So this is the relationship I've always wanted to see. I wanted to see what games look like when these two trade and I don't know who came out on top really in the end between the two of them.
1: You know what's weird? This is this is my opinion on 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 that swap um, because it does feel like Mintek d- gets the low the the worse end of the stick. Because what uh-huh. does Mintek really care about having trade convoys? No, because trade convoys
0: doesn't let them pillage from everybody. It no, they d- trade with everybody, and they kind of suck right. at trading.
1: Right, but I, this is the argument I'm going to make. I think it doesn't really matter what mentech gets for it. Mintek. And, and this, you might treat this as heresy, but I actually think that this is smart. Um, I think you, as MinTek, you want to give promise of protection to Hakan, Like, you just oh, yeah. want them to have it. No, I agree. Be- because you want Hakan to be able to, to keep all of the trade goods flowing and make the game a very trade-heavy game yeah. so that you will be able to pillage. Now, if you're going to pillage off of Hakan then they're just going to spend all their time trying to figure out a way to get around you. Right. And uh, they and they're ha- only going to trade
0: with one person per trade, right? If, if yes. you are going to pillage from Hakan, Hakan's going to find the player with four commodities and go six for four with you every time, and that's yeah. it. Yeah, I now, think you'll just ha- see a lot of that Yeah, them. if Hakan is protected, you can become neighbors with everybody else at the table, and Hakan might trade with all of them, kind of spreading the wealth. Hakon makes a lot of money, and you make four trade goods off of every you know, deal that he's doing. You know, if, if he's trading with every player, that's four trade goods netted for you. So I kind of agree. It's a weird mentality to get there, but I, I think you're right. That Mentec kind of will give Hakan promise of protection almost for anything. I, I, I would yeah. take very little to get that in their hands because like you say, it encourages Hakan to do the trading. That's going to set you up for a
1: lot of other things. Because otherwise it's like, if you, if you, if you put all of that pressure on Hakan um, then uh, like they have so like most factions aren't gonna spend a lot of mental energy trying to figure out how to get around MENTAC. Right. They're just gonna have to take the hit in a lot of cases. Yeah. But Hakan is such a high priority. My That's their fear whole is a ment Yeah. So like my fear would be like, man, like I like Hakan might literally like do things to specifically prevent me from right. from uh from pillaging uh, so I just kind of want i just want the wealth to be spread around um so i think I think it's right i don't know if the if trade convoys is what I would have asked for though I honestly think uh i'd try and get money for yeah it. like I'd try to just get a bot just to get bot so, buy get it. get a good
0: first deal in that round maybe yeah um so the the picks for first round, uh, Xtra was the speaker and they took leadership. Now made sense because the first public objective out was to spend three command counters, which I know is Hunter's least favorite thing to happen round
1: one. Hate that. Yeah. Hate
0: that. Just makes it for a slow, dull round one. Usually, or at, or round two will be dull because everyone expands round one and then just saves the next round. So Xtra got that out of the way. Uh, Winu picking second then got to take Warfare, which is like best case scenario for winu oh my gosh their day is saved because now winu going into round two is adjacent to Mechatol rex and all they need is to get there uh necro took tech round one which i love because basically the same argument as leadership for necro i'm just gonna bank a bunch of uh command counters for that also
1: also in this case you're you're blocking the potential for a round one barony like crazy swing uh, yeah well uh Around uh, one Barony researches two techs, yeah. basically. Well, and, so that's and that's on on the table.
0: What's interesting, one of the players pointed out, like, Necro, don't you want someone else to get tech? Because you want to encourage people to get tech. That's um, good point. But and, and it is a good point, but in this case, I kind of feel okay with it considering Necro's neighbor was Hakan. And so Hakan starts with anti-mass deflectors. And Sarwene tools. And yeah. it's probably going to research gravity drive round one, which is exactly what happened. So that's yeah. three tech that you have access to that you want. So you yeah, don't I would need say... anybody else to get a bunch of tech really fast. Like exactly. you're going to get all the tech you need round one off of that Hakan. So in well, this also, case, I'm okay with stifling. No tech matter
1: what, you're not going to get a lot of tech round one. Is right. that you right. don't have the resources to have a bunch of different, like you at most are going to have like what one space battle Right, like you probably shouldn't be having more than one. You probably don't even need to have the one in a lot of cases. Save it for Uh, next round. But more importantly, in this case, like that's three command
0: counters. That's that's an objective. You should do that. I don't care if it stifles tech a little bit. Um, Hakan took politics instead of trade, which was pretty interesting. I think because I think they were just at during the strategy card picks, I think they were nervous about Mentak. And so they were like, I don't want to take trade and then deal with this. Right. Um, even though they could have planned ahead. Maybe they did. I don't know if they talked or not, but Mentak ended up getting trade and Barony was stuck with construction. Um, but I, I, I'm not sure what the thought was besides Hakan just wanting to go into round two strong. Right. I mean, he kind of knows Mentak is probably going to take trade. So it's like, well, trade's going to get played and I'm going to well, get my refresh. I'm going to get to I- do stuff.
1: I'm starting to be of the opinion that uh Hakan taking trade round 1 is actually not a good idea and that Hakan should try and swing into kind of mid game taking trade. Okay. Um, to prepare for like stage 2s because if you start if you start the beginning of the game getting as many trade goods as you possibly can Oh right. People start trading with you. Right. And and it's not important for you to have a lot of trade goods until we hit those stage twos. That's the most important thing that you're going to be able to spend. Right. Like, I mean, Hakan. I've seen a lot of games where Hakan and, and definitely Mentac with mirror computing are really the only people that can qualify for like the resource heavy and influence heavy stage two objectives. Right, right. Um, And that's juicy. You want that because it's kind of, it's not like Jolnar because Jolnar is just so specifically tuned to grab those, but it's kind of like it. Yeah. Uh, so meta-wise, I don't want to take too many trade goods uh, at the very beginning of the game because then people tend to just kind of stop trading with you. Right. And yeah. they see it as like, well, if I trade with you, that's the game. Yeah. So what you need to do is have a giant trade round about round three or round four. I, yeah. that's, that's, my, that's what I feel now. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, round
0: two was super interesting because Winu was picking fourth, and the whole table just let them get Imperial. Nobody cared. Uh, and when took Mechatol round two as their first action and their second action, they played Imperial and they got two points. Um, and this was kind of one of those situations where like everybody went into the game knowing that Winu is a bad faction yep. and kind of just let Winu get away with doing their own thing early. Uh, like we said, Necro was a little bit more focused on setting up to get tech off of Hakann. Uh Winu, I don't even think Winu bought tech round one. Um, so all Winu had was Sarween tools, and so, so, so does uh, Hakan. So Necro, on their left, didn't really bother with Winu. And on their right is Extra, who's a little bit more concerned with reinforcing their slice. So they had a really, really clean first two rounds where they weren't getting jumped on by people trying to take advantage of a weak Winu, um, yeah. which was really great for them. Uh, th- that's about the only thing super notable round two. The rest of it was pretty typical... Um, Expansion and whatnot, but we did have two huge agendas round two. Um, the first one was public execution, and there was just a lot of debate over what was going to happen with this public execution. Um, there were lots of writers played on Necro uh, because what was the reasoning here? Necro was speaker? No. Public execution doesn't work no, that well. ra-
1: No. Ra- round two, uh, Hakan was speaker.
0: Right. So... I don't know what all was Oh, going wait. On. No, no, no.
1: That's that's wrong. That's wrong.
0: Uh, round two, somebody else took po- politics. But anyways, the public execution ended up going off on Hakan after lots of debate uh, and sort of a begrudging decision to put it onto Hakan. I know at one point it was between Hakon and Mentak, and then there was lots of things talked about with Necro. Then immediately after that big agenda was Crown, Crown of Infidia, uh, which ended up getting placed on Barony after... A decent amount of discussion. So, two yeah. big agendas Crown of Amphidia, a pretty big game definer. Um, obviously, Shard of the Throne is the scarier one where it can be taken after any combat. So, and Barony's fairly safe, right? In their home system, they're, they're probably going to be okay. Um, but y- obviously, any faction that is a two or three planet home system faction, Crown of Amphidia is in a much more dangerous position. If yeah you're, it, if it's you're not mentak, good for hakan right it's not good for hakan you're not that afraid of having it as winu or mentak because like that's the only planet you have to reinforce so you're probably going to be okay
1: yeah
0: uh, so then going into round three uh, uh, i want to s- i
1: want to point oh. something out though, yeah. that i thought was interesting about because this because i uh, <laughs> i woke up late for this game and i came <laughs> in at, at about this point uh, one thing that i noted right off the bat was, I thought it was really cool. Obviously, Winu is kind of the big, exciting thing about right. this game. Um, and when I came in, Winu was already on Mechatol. Uh, but what I thought was interesting was that Winu um, was kind of not doing... I feel like, Matt, your logic is to run screaming at Hegemonic. Yeah, um, yeah, and, yeah. And this uh, tech path was focused on PDS2 at yep. first.
0: Yeah, um, I, I thought that was fun. They They used... Um, did they get a red tech skip earlier? They just got plasma scoring, I guess. No, they but, they got plasma scoring. Yeah. That was their second. Tech. And then he was just like, "I'm just gonna hold, mechatol softly." um and mm-hmm. and be nice to people and get pds2 going and kind of try to play it out that way um yeah. and yeah it, it was a different take They he didn't he never got hegemonic actually this whole game he never got either faction tech really.
1: well there's something that happened that i think i think his plan was to eventually get hegemonic sure. but we'll get to it so round three let's talk about it yeah round, three, what happens uh, in round three
0: some weird little things uh the big one being that necro targeted a mentak cruiser just to get some tech Uh, mentak had like parked it way over by the alpha wormhole by necro and necro didn't make any deals he just went to go chomp on it because he's necro right and mentak was really mad (laughs) mentak kind of went off the handle on him now pink is the player that was playing mentak and this is actually just a little bit how uh pink plays actually pink is a very vocal player and kind of wears emotions on his sleeve Almost as a, as like a trick, right? Like it's not like he was actually super super mad, but he expresses lots of anger because he wants you to be afraid of what he's maybe gonna do to you, right? That this is kind of how I read Pink's meta: is he he explains a lot of things, he tells you when he thinks you're making a bad play, he. He tells you what he thinks you should do and why you should help him at all moments. He likes to sell things in a in a way of like, well, don't bother, don't worry about me, but I'm gonna help. I'm gonna do everything I can to help you out. Um, Yeah. So when he he makes a lot of
1: deals too, he's a he's a big deal maker. Um, I I remember we played with him uh, in one of the Yin Brotherhood games, and he invaded. He was the thorn in my side, right? Uh, More so than I think any player actually. In the that that listens to the show and has also played with us, right? Uh, Pink is the number one guy who has ruined a game that I was in, right? Um, And I even want to mention it because there's a parallel to this game. Yeah. The thing that I noted about Pink when I played with him was that he liked to make a lot of deals, Um, and I was playing as a con in the game uh, that he was that he was in, uh, and I left my home system um, open. For it was going to be for a single turn. Uh, he was going to have a one-turn opening to mess with me, but I had a huge like wealth of trade goods, and I was like, "I get this guy. He's gonna threaten right. me and take my trade goods." And I was like, "You know what? It's worth it because I needed to do it for something else, anyways." And uh, he did not negotiate with me at all. No, he just, he just went jumped for right it, on it. He said, I'm I w- it. <laughs> and it, it's so funny because he had a similar opportunity in this game. And he did, he He did actually (laughs) negotiate. So uh, anyways, uh, yeah, that's that's just my my specific grumbling. Right. Um,
0: Um, Yeah. It's worth noting too, though, like uh, he makes deals, but he's a big fan of Mentak. He made that clear when he picked Mentak. He was like, I got to take Mentak. This is like one of my factions. Um, and it's because yes, he likes to make deals, but he'll also lie to you. He will just, he'll screw you over. He will betray you. He is not afraid to do that at all. And he will sell it with a smile. He'll say, well, I never said I wouldn't do this. I said I would do this and I did do that. So you can't be mad at me. He loves to frame things like that. He loves to get in your head. And, and honestly, I think he loves to like make players a little bit salty with him. He, he kind of wants to, 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 to get in the bear's den and and you know make him mad like he 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 kind of relishes in rubbing things in people's faces when he gets a victory or whatever it, it sort of plays into his whole persona um round 3 was also i would say defined by necro got a big lead not a huge lead but but got a lead despite having uh, the secret objective to win a fight against the leader so i remember thinking that necro was going to kind of hold back a little bit let someone either at least be tied with him or take the lead so that he could jump on that point next round and he did not he he got a lead and he was gonna he kind of ended up i think holding it for a decent amount of time It was a long time before he was able to score that secret objective Mm -hmm. um so round four is when things got very interesting especially for winu uh hunter you were a part of their secret
1: conversations will you walk me through what uh winu was doing so uh I I made I made some assumptions here about the plan, but what they actually talked about was simply this: um, Winu basically was offering extra acquiescence, the Winu uh, promissory action note. promissory note, yeah, uh, that allows essentially it's like quantum data hub node where you get to just exchange your strategy card with Winu's strategy card. Right. Um, Winu was the speaker. So he was essentially saying, I can make you effectively the speaker in that uh, you can, that you will get to pick whatever uh, strategy card you want. And also you're blocking me from taking Imperial because I have Mechatol Rex right now and I'm the speaker. Yeah. And he was offering this to Barony. Um, He actually originally offered it to Extra and Extra refused it, um, which I think was actually kind of smart. Uh but the trade was this acquiescence for support for the throne. Yeah. Not a support for the throne trade. Nope. Just acquiescence. Right. Um which I think I would like there to be a little bit of debate as to whether this is a good deal or not. I it's hard for me to really be certain because it's like you're I think a lot of people would say, well, that's just a strategy card pick uh and a point is a point. A point is that's why right. we play the game. Right. Um but it's a strategy card pick and you're also effectively blocking Winu. From yeah. taking imperial, you blocking so-
0: another point. You're giving a point for a point. I, I do think there's a lot of argument against this be- because of what it ends up being. It's a point either way, for right. for Winu. So why not just, I don't know, let them get imperial and then try to take Mechatol from them. But what I loved so much about this play is when he's already taken Mechatol and gotten one imperial point. He's trying to get a support for the throne. Winu very early on decided, I'm not going to win with objectives. His secret yeah. objectives hand was very notably not great. He had very aggressive secret objectives, like control four hazardous planets, get adjacent to a, a home system. He eventually, I think, had blockade a space dock. That may have been another player. I kind of forget. But he just he kept getting secret objectives that were so aggressive. And it's like, well, that's not what Winu does well. So he was just like, I'm going to win by getting points outside of the normal objectives i'm going to need to mm-hmm. get support for the thrones because I, I, the thing you noted after this is if he did this trade he was still going to have his support for the throne see, so that, he could easily swap that with somebody else so that would that's be two what support I for the thrones for winu plus two mechatol points he'll probably get imperial one more time before this game is over so that's five points that winu got off the board
1: yeah see okay so here's what in my head round four was going to look like this Winu was basically specifically allowing themselves to not get imperial. Right. Um so that they could kind of paint themselves as being, you know, oh I'm, I'm it's I'm just in the pack here. I'm not, you know, I you should trade. I should get another support from this Right. The throne. I'm just and as, he
0: loved to say I'm Winu and I'm bad. Please don't make fun of right, me. He right. was like really selling the like Winu is garbo. I'm not a threat line. It
1: was smart. Um and, but then what happens going into round four um, is that Barony misunderstood the timing window. Um, and we are, as moderators, well, I say Matt as a <laughs> moderator, is trying to strike a balance. But We're not trying to hold your hand. Right. We're trying to make sure that you're aware of your opportunities. So right. Matt kind of announced the timing window. Uh, Barony... Didn't understand what was the specific window. He thought something else was the window. Yep. Um, and he did not pop it in the right order. So so essentially, Winu then took a strategy card that they thought they were giving to somebody else, yes. and then they were just kind of stuck with it. Right. Um, but however, what was super crazy about that round is that nobody took politics right so there was a lot of bungled play there yeah um when did not get imperial when kept uh, like i think they had tech that they didn't necessarily plan on having at all um i think that's right uh i might be wrong but i think no i think he took like imperial that. and i think
0: uh
1: x no, no no that's that's the next got, that's uh, okay. that's the next round yeah it's a little round. hard to remember yeah right. yeah i i remember pretty good but uh so he he took tech and then was just stuck with it, which is yep. fine. I mean, it's tech, but he wasn't that's that wasn't his plan. And yep. then nobody took politics, so we've got Winu still on Mechatol Rex. They've given out Acquiescence, right. it's still out, and they are the speaker. So it's very it was very odd for Winu. It's kind right. of a series of weird plays right. that kind of led it to. And there.
0: that next agenda phase is the agenda phase that Winu won Imperial Arbiter, which turned into a really weird kind of cat and mouse or game of chicken or whatever right. you want to call it where extra has acquiescence but winu got imperial arbiter which is the agenda that allows you to swap a strategy card with somebody else so then it yeah. became a so do you pick imperial and then let it get acquiesced and then use imperial Arbiter? like it was such a mess uh, to figure right. out and um i forget what the end result of so it was, so too. how
1: how that one went down i remember uh so oh, they remember, they were yeah. all so so they were all kind of debating that once we got to the next strategy phase and everyone had kind of figured out what had happened they were trying to convince Barony to use acquiescence um, and then Winu has imperial arbiter so they're like not sure how to do it Winu takes imperial and forces Barony to use acquiescence to take it away from yeah, um, Winu, and then Winu uses Imperial Arbiter to just grab what they really wanted, uh, which was trade. Right, because that um, was a
0: round where he even openly said, "Like, I don't think I'm going to be able to keep uh, Mechatal Rex." This, and way. he did. He
1: he gave up on Mechatal yeah. Rex. He
0: gave up on Mechatal Rex. But more importantly, what he gained was sixteen influence had just come out. The the stage two objective for sixteen influence. And he uh, he gained a lot of trade goods, and that's what helped him score sixteen influence later on. That, that was a that was two points he assured himself
1: by. So he gave by up. He gave up at the right time. Also, yeah. we failed to mention this, but uh, the thing that, of course, was always going to happen did happen. In that, I believe it was Mentak used uh, uh, reactor meltdown on the mecatol oh, yes. The Mechatorex uh, space dock. Space dock. Every time. Is- yeah, every every time, time.
0: Winu's there, that's what happens. It's so crazy. Um,
1: Do you remember the very first game you played with Winu? and yeah. that happened right away, yeah, and it I was remember. like, it was like, what like we like took a picture, right. like, oh, this sucks. Now I'm just like, well, of course, well, that's, that's gonna what's going to happen, right? Like, like, yeah. Uh, round five, we're looking at Winu as actually
0: a huge contender for victory. Right, Winu yeah. had a pretty clear path. Uh, he had two point objective. He was going to be able to score, and um, I forget what where else his other points needed to come from. But Winu ended up actually making a pretty huge blunder, uh, because he in an effort to blockade a space dock, uh, he, he got one avenue cut off, and so his his only other one that he saw was blockading Barony. Um but guess what? Winu has Barony's support for the throne, and he forgot. So he burned his support for the throne and had to go down a point. And right, and he, he also changed. He did the context not of the uh game.
1: he he did not actually achieve the objective yeah, he was yeah. trying to he didn't even get to do that and so he so he really, lost it he lost two points basically
0: yeah. lost <laughs> two points in round five and this became again our hot potato situation now it's like uh-oh right. when who's out who's in who needs it and um there was a lot of kind of posturing and then suddenly necro starts making moves because um the two-point objective to have six planets of the same trait is out there and necro already actually had four and he managed to go successfully through the gravity rift to take one from Hakan, Uh, And that was his fifth. So then it became, uh-oh, Necro needs a sixth cultural planet. And a lot of the table kind of actively worked against him. He stalled for a while to try to hold out the round and then do it when nobody else could do anything about it. But mm-hmm. Barony was left in the round and Barony had lots of ways to deal with Necro. And basically Necro ended up spending multiple actions as like last ditch efforts like none of them were strong attacks but he was just like maybe i get lucky and if i get this last cultural planet i win the game so he was right. kind of throwing those Hail Mary passes. One of them got a nullification meal that, uh, nullification field from Excha. One of them, he just wasn't able to take enough stuff. And actually, Barony luckily had experimental battle stations. So he just got Space Cannon out of the sky. It was just a lot of stuff like that, where it was like he just could not, never quite get the sixth one. And he also left one of his culturals that he already owned a little bit too empty. And he ended up getting it taken from uh, by Hakan. Yeah, so, that, so, he ended up pretty, around with four culturals. I don't think he ended up yeah, with five by the end of the no, round. He,
1: he went back down to four. Yeah. Um, it it was that round was really interesting because Hakan initiated something that I feel like we need to see more of. In that going into that round, Hakan um, actually called Barony um, uh, and Excha into a secret conversation oh, because yeah. at this point, Winu uh necro and mentak were all in striking distance of winning and we were kind of looking at we saw necro possibly had a path but we were actually looking at mentak a lot at the time uh and winu had had blundered so we were kind of like well it's uh, it's probably not winu yeah it's probably not winu at this point um but hakan calls the other two into a secret conversation and essentially um he just talked to the other two and, and i can't believe i haven't seen people do this that often but he was just basically like all right So obviously the three of us do not have a chance currently. So we all collectively need this to go another round. Yeah. So how do we do that? Right. And what they did was they stalled leadership very specifically. Right. And because he was a con, he was able to provide action cards to make it easier. Yeah. Um, And they just really coordinated it. And it was really nice. However, that all being said, um, they did successfully stall a lot of people out. Uh, leadership-wise through, uh, I believe it was Barony had leadership. Yep, Barony had leadership. However, that's kind of what opened up Necro to be able yeah. to, to do this because Necro is Necro and was able to get command counters when tech was played. Right. So uh, it was kind of a weird situation where I saw a lot of really cool meta play, um, but un- unwittingly it almost gave Necro... The game, Chance. luckily, right. Hakan did not get stalled out and was able to be a check on Necro still. Right. Uh, but it was really crazy there for a minute. I thought we were going to see an unexpected Necro win like a round early. Right. That that right. did not happen. And then nope. we did go into to another round where basically everybody was like, every, yep. everyone had a shot. So
0: we had two players at nine, two at eight, and two at seven, one at six, one at seven. I know that what's even funny there is, like, uh, Hakan was at seven, but Hakan had Imperial, so hakan has got a shot. Everyone right. at eight and nine has a shot. Uh, I think there was only one player that didn't have, like, a pretty clear path to victory. Um, and worth noting here, too, is where... So, Winu uh, had already scored um, that stage two we talked about, at 16 influence, and that's what put him back into contention. Um, so, basically, going into round six after some mildly eventful agenda phase, but nothing game defining. Um, uh, Winu political stability to the round before to keep diplomacy from round five, which he took, um, which left him assured to a low uh, initiative order. Um, And he had, and he had an action phase secret objective and he was one point away from the victory. Now, uh, Hakan picked first, took Imperial and Mentak picked second and took leadership. So the only player with an option to win before the Winu was the Mentak. And Mentak had to do their action first. And he said it out loud too. He said, if I don't do this action right now, I will not win. Uh, But Mentak had to send two cruisers with two fighters through the gravity rift to try to take out a pretty sparsely defended um, Necro flagship because he needed to destroy their greatest fleet. And we saw... Two cruisers roll for a gravity rift, and we saw a one, and we saw a three, yeah. and Mentak's dreams were crushed before him, and um, the round before that, there had been basically a situation where Mentak just, like, straight-up lied to Hakan to—he uh, he basically made a non-binding deal and immediately broke the deal— and um, so there was a little bit of karma where I think most of the players were very happy to see uh, Mentak get crushed. The, the last two rounds, honestly, were defined in in some ways by the table being a little bit sick of uh, Pink's actions and, and the way he had been manipulating people and lying to people and betraying people. And he very quickly was running out of options just because nobody was was willing to let him get away with anything. It kind of, for a couple players, and I think especially Hakan, it turned into... I don't necessarily know if I can win, but I know I can't let Mentak win. Yeah, and and that that kind of hurt a lot of Mentak's options in those final rounds.
1: Yeah, I, th- I do think the Gravity Well was uh, upset about uh, Mentak's play, I, I or the Gravity yeah. Rift. Yeah, um, I, I, which actually brings us to a really good PSA that I would like to throw out, uh, <laughs> kind of in in all capital letters, uh-huh. uh, because this was tough for even me and Matt to rule on. Um, but pillage is like whenever a mentex says let's trade, I won't pillage you. Right. That's mon, that's non-binding because that's not not occurring in the same, right. Uh, it's the same timing, but it's It's, not the same action. It's so
0: weird because transactions don't necessarily exist within a timing window. Transactions are this nebulous thing that happen in between timing windows and kind of whenever, but, the pillage wording is specifically after a transaction. And right. so because of that after, you can never have the stipulation, don't pillage me as a binding deal. And that was the lie that Mentak uh, told to, to Hakan and this... basically cost Hakan the 16 influence uh, point. He, was one, he ended up being one away because Mentak pillaged one extra trade good from Hakan.
1: The only clue I feel like in the game that uh, that this is that, that is how it works is promise of protection. Right. Because like, that's basically the only way to be yeah. sure that, you that you're not going right. um, to get Right.
0: So instead, we saw Mentak fail their attack for the win, which left Winu with an option to win a combat with his flagship. And there was a lone Necro Dreadnought very close by. And he was able to send a huge fleet in Uh, And pretty easily knock out that Necro Dreadnought, which means that Game 5, the first game (laughs) with Winu in it, was a Winu victory. And that is huge. Probably, I mean, so far, that is like play of the tournament right i mean and and by that i mean the the entire game for winu was like the play of the tournament everything he did to achieve victory in what most people would regard as like an impossible odds for winu people are being competitive they're probably going to be aggressive but this map helps winu a lot and that's something we talked about in the post game is like this map is kind of designed for like winu to get away with some stuff because there's not obvious bridges between you and a neighbor so it's not like anyone has a great path to like Pick up planets on the way to screwing you over. If they're going to screw you over, they they have to go out of their way. They to have do to go so. for it. Yeah. Yeah. And so you you don't see people willing to commit to that, right? Mm-hmm. Just just to knock a winu down a peg. Like, are you really guaranteeing you're going to earn that second slice, or or you know do you have enough that you can send, or should you just worry about filling out your own slice and play your safe game? And I think this map favors the safer approach, which gives winu a lot of leg room. So yeah. I mean, not to say Winu is, like, a good faction. Obviously, their plan is still Mechatol or Bust.
1: Really limited, yeah. But
0: they at least have more options than they would on many other maps.
1: Well, I'll say this. I, I don't feel like that, like, like what you're saying is true, but I don't know if that's the takeaway. Because yeah. here's here's my takeaway from how the Winu player played, and this is, I think, what's really admirable about the player, and this is the attitude that, that wins you more games uh, in Twilight Imperium. Is that the Winnu made uh, a grave mistake uh, and they lost a support for the throne, right. which is bad. They, they even got kind of down on themselves. At one right. point, he, he wrote the word dunce and <laughs> just drew, drew a dunce cap and, on and, his thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so he, he was uh, clearly upset uh, and he, he didn't necessarily have a plan. At that point, you could tell it was just kind of like I, he didn't know what to do next. But he knew that he had a secret objective yep. that was unveil flagship. That's all he knew. That's the it. He didn't know anything. He didn't really have any other ideas. the The only other objectives he had, um, he kind of had already planned for. So there wasn't really anything else to think about. So it was just like, well, I'll just build the flagship. Like, right. Yeah. There's no reason down. not to. Yeah. Even and in a round
0: where he knew he wouldn't score that point, and there was no guarantee that the round was going to go on beyond that round, like someone else right. could win. But he said, well, I have one shot here, and it's to hope it goes on to another round and to have this flagship on the board.
1: And I mean, we were like it. I mean, I, I don't know how much of it is the commentary track, but what I was feeling and thinking at that time was like, oh, man, when is going to lose? Like I was rooting for Winu, obviously, because you just right. want unexpected things to happen. You want the you know, everybody roots for the underdog. Um, and I honestly thought that they had bungled it and that now Mentec or Necro kind of had it. Right. Right. Um, And I feel like they probably even thought that they'd really bungled it and that it was over. Um, But there's no reason to give up. You just got to look at, just do what you can do. Look at what your options are and do what is possible.
0: Well, and especially on, I guess, this map or in this tournament, That is a huge takeaway for me is the number of times now we've seen just this constant shifting of who has the opportunity to win and one action impacting another, which opens up an opportunity for a third party like that. That keeps happening. I I know in game was it game four or was it game three? Game four had a moment where um, no, I think it was game three uh, where there was an opportunity for one player to break a deal and give a ceasefire to someone that would have stopped the winner from winning. Um, But they opted not to do it because they wanted to be honorable. But like even little things like that, like one little ceasefire trade could have completely stopped SARS chances in game three. And, And that we've seen little things like that happen multiple times in a row now where it's just like, You never know what other players are going to do. You are not playing a 1v1 game where, like, you can game theory it out. I I started to say in the Discord uh, last night, I just don't believe in game theory anymore with regards to Twilight Imperium. There are too many variables, there are too many other players that there isn't, like, a perfect optimal thing. Because in Twilight Imperium, it is advantageous to not be in the lead so that you can then just have a swing round later. Like it is advantageous to not always do the most optimal thing. You want to hold yourself back many times throughout the game so that you aren't, uh, you don't appear as big of a threat. Appearance is everything in twilight Imperium. And that's something we keep learning more and more on this tournament, map.
1: All right, that's it. We have that's to it. stop. We have, have to get out to of stop. here. We, because Matt, we have to, a whole, we have an episode, to, episode do. to do. I'm so <sighs> mad at us. I'm <sighs> so mad. It's, I'm seeing an hour twenty. Let's, right. Let's but, dive oh into an episode. Man. That's it. Okay. We're done. We're yeah. moving out of here, oh my and God. it's time
0: to start talking about action cards. I think we can. We're we're going to probably fly through this because next week is where things get really weird. Um, but this week, we're going to do a pretty solid overview. I say of of action cards. We just want to cover the gist of like how you should think about action cards. I think th- this is this is a Galactic Council episode. This was voted on by the Galactic Council, and I think the trend we see with Galactic Council episodes is these more new player friendly episodes, things that are like, let's go back to basics. So I think that's where Hunter and I's heads are. When we start planning these galactic council episodes is like, we're going back to basics. So if you think you're a genius at twilight Imperium, this may be a weird episode for you, but we're going to talk about some stuff that is like lots of things that people forget very often. So I still think there's going to be information that is worth it for experienced players, but this is definitely geared towards newer players.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um,
0: So let's cover the basics. Um,
1: her ac- uh, well, no, you do I, it you do it I, I, I I'll do it I'll do okay. it Matt what yes. are action cards and why do I want them
0: <laughs> action cards are these little tools that <laughs> let you just break rules of the board game and do yeah. things that you shouldn't be able to do and um, here's here's a, one way to think of an action card okay you're playing Twilight Imperium you have a faction your faction has these special little powers every single action card is a new faction ability that you can give yourself. A one-time use. A one-time use faction ability. And so for as often as you think your faction ability is useful, that's how useful every action card is. Yeah. Um, If we're talking about card games like Magic or Hearthstone or whatever, a lot of people will talk about the theory of, um, what's it called, card advantage. Um, And I, I don't know enough about card advantage, but I do know the idea is the more cards you can get, the more opportunities you open up for yourself. Uh, You want to just be getting more stuff than your opponents because that means you're going to be able to do more things. And there's a few tools in Twilight Imperium that let you get more action cards. And and most players should try to do that. Um, The the main thing I try to think of is if you never got the tech neural motivator, which we'll go over in a second, but uh, let's say you never got that and you never play the politics strategy card, you just draw one action card per round, and let's assume the game ends round six, you're going to draw five action cards this game. I don't think any player can ever expect to win if you only ever drew five action cards. No,
1: in most, yeah, I I agree. In most games, it is, they are essential to your victory. They become very, very important, especially in the late game. I mean, honestly, they're important throughout the entire game. Absolutely. Because many of them, are very specific as to when they are useful, but when they are useful, it, they are the most critical right. thing in the game. Basically. So many
0: of them are designed to basically dis- make deciding moves that give you an opportunity that nobody saw coming and that let you do something that like, you never could have done otherwise, which opens up scoring opportunities, and that's yeah. hugely important.
1: They are so, the unexpected
0: actions. right which that's an action card that we will probably go over. Um, oh, it is. Wow. <laughs> um, oh, right. I, d- I did that on accident. <laughs> so one of the one of the main ways that you're going to increase your card advantage, the way you're going to get more action cards, is with the tech Neural Motivator. Any yeah. faction that starts with Neural Motivator, eh, that's great. That's a really good tech to start with. The green path is noteworthy for being really good for just like solid gameplay. And Neural Motivator is the main reason for that. There is a common meme in the Twilight Imperium community that Neural Motivator or Sarween Tools, one of those two tech is the best tech in the game and the debate rages forever and ever and ever. Right, but it it is Neural. It is Neural Motivator because card advantage is what wins you way more games than theoretically four to like seven trade goods throughout the game. That's basically what Sarween Tools gets you. Yeah, think about it. you're oversimplifying it.
1: Yeah, think about it like this. Um, Action cards are so good that Isarles... Whole racial advantage, faction advantage, is based on action cards, and that's pretty much it. And they're one of the best factions of the game. And it's just because they have better access to these cards that everyone has access to. Right. But it's just because of the level of access that they're awesome. And that's how dependable action cards are. So that's why everybody should get Neural Motivator if they can.
0: And the big important thing there is you should get it as early as possible. There are lots of factions that have... No reason to go down the green tech path and you still probably should get Neural Motivator round one. That's how important action cards are, is there is an argument to every single faction in the game getting Neural Motivator round one just because of how much utility it's going to net you throughout the game. Um, What's the other main way you get action cards in the game?
1: Uh, By executing either the primary or secondary ability of the politics strategy card.
0: Now, the politics strategy card gets picked a lot because it's the only way the speaker token moves, and that's a hugely important part of the game. Uh So almost every round, you can bet on there being a politics play. Um, So at the very least, you'll usually have access to the secondary. Uh, I don't know. Hunter, how often would you say you do the secondary of politics throughout
1: a single game? Well, it obviously depends on the faction I'm playing. Sure. Um, I'll tell you this. uh, I... Almost never grab neural when I'm playing as necro because there's other text to grab, and necro has a command counter advantage, right? So I'm just like, all right, well, I'm going to use my command counter advantage to do the secondary of politics more time. frequently, right? Yeah, um, and- if for some reason soul didn't start with neural, which they do. Um, but if for some reason they didn't, I would probably have the exact same logic for soul. Well, right. I have a command counter advantage. I might as well use that to get more action cards and not waste time getting neural. Right.
0: Um, so the big thing with politics is we start to get into the issue of, um, how many action cards is too many. Um, this yeah. is another reason a advantage is so huge is because they never have too many. You just have a million. Um, But every other player at the table, your limit is seven action cards. And the worst thing you can do with action cards in a game of TI is have to discard down to seven and get rid of a useful action card. Yeah. There are plenty of action cards that aren't especially useful, especially for certain factions. There are some action cards that are literally unusable by certain factions. Um, So it's like, okay, that's a safe discard I can use later. But if you have neural motivator and you have six action cards, It's probably a pretty terrible idea to do the secondary of politics because you're going to burn one of them already. And then at the end of the round, you're going to do you're going to draw two action cards, but you'll already be at seven. So you're going to burn two more action cards. And if you have a good hand, you are literally wasting time. This is a huge reason why you kind of want to be doing lots of these actions throughout the game. You don't need to save every single action card for the last round of the game. There are certain cards you save all game because they're hugely important in your final round. But sometimes you just need to go ahead and use it because you're going to draw more coming up here soon, and you need to make room in your hand. Um, so that's why a lot of the cards, like like the initiatives, economic initiative, con- cultural initiative, whatever, these ones that just like net you a few trade goods, those are great to just do because just do you're never going to get. You shouldn't try to bank them for when like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna save it until I can get like six trade goods. Well that's you're holding onto that for way too long, and you might as well get your two trade goods and get it out of your hand so that you can get new better cards.
1: I sort of I I agree not all the way though. I think maybe you're sure. putting a little too much uh stink on it cuz it does depend just depends on what faction you're playing. Absolutely. If, if there's okay. no way you're getting neural, um maybe the goal is to just build up the best hand that you can for the end of the game. It just depends right. on where you're at. Right. If you're a little bit behind, maybe you just need to make some plays happen right now. Right. Uh obviously a lot of people uh are going to find this whole episode kind of like redundant for them they can probably recognize when are specific times they should use action cards but the idea is this if you uh, are getting a lot of cards and you know that either you started with neural or you researched it right off the bat uh then let yourself use those cards more and more um, if you, for some reason, don't have neural and you're doing the secondary of politics a lot, well, basically that's the same. Right. If for some reason you are in a bad situation and you don't have neural and you don't have a good command co- uh, counter economy and you're probably losing, maybe it is good to hoard them. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty condi- that's a, that's a pretty tight condition that we've just yeah. put on that. But I think those are basically the three stat the three states you'll find yourself in right. as far as action cards. You'll either have neural and basically it's easy street. Yeah. And then you probably don't even really need to do the secondary of politics, but maybe you do every once in a while. Um, uh, or you don't, and you're able to afford to do the secondary a lot, which is great. Um, or not, neither of those things are true, in which case, uh, that's hard. Yeah. So here's, here's my big
0: question for you, Hunter. Imagine it's round one of a game. Now, mm-hmm. round one is defined a lot by what people are actually able to do. You are very, you, everyone has the same start with command counters, and everyone's going to try to use them in essentially the same ways. The big things are you're going to use the secondary of technology, and you're probably going to use the secondary of warfare, unless you play with a m- really mean group that's very good at stalling you out. Yeah. Now, my question for you, Hunter, is let's say you have technology, and or warfare. You have one of those two strategy cards, which means you're really only dedicating one strategy card to the other one, right? If you have tech, you'll probably try to do the secondary of warfare. How often, Hunter, will you spend that other strategy counter round one on the secondary of politics to get two quick action cards in your hand?
1: Well, I have one very specific question. Okay. Do I have
0: neural? Let's give an answer for both. Yes and no. What what is if you if have, I have neural? If,
1: if I have neural, I'm not wasting that command counter.
0: Okay, because you want to save it for round two and have a and not be command counter-starved round two, right? Well, yeah,
1: and also like if I go ahead and do that, I'm going to have four cards, which means right. I'm going to hit that roof and have to start really discarding fast. cards yeah. really fast. Yep. Um, now, if I don't have Neural, I will not do it 100% of the time, but I will strongly consider it. Right. I think a big determining factor here, too, is how quickly
0: does politics pop? Uh, Because we have seen round ones defined by really lucky action card draws that you can use right away to improve Mm -hmm. the station of your round one play. Uh, Mm -hmm. So if politics is like first or second turn pop, I'm probably going to do it because I don't know. I might get something great that's going to really change the maybe you don't. And maybe it's an action card you can use later. But there's a there's an okay chance that you'll get something that is useful uh, round one.
1: I, I know exactly where to put it now that I think about it. So if if the secondary of tech and warfare are like the top tier round one secondaries. Right. Tier 2 for me is diplomacy and politics. Right. And diplomacy I consider almost it, never gets picked, so right. politics but is. But when is diplomacy amazing. does get picked, you it's do it. not Yeah, you want to do it, but it's not as automatic as those other two. Right. Those other two are like I Probably, depending on what faction or situation I'm in, will have to do this, regardless of whether I want to or not. Right. Um, and then politics and diplomacy are both two juicy ones that I probably want to do, but I might not get to because the resources didn't work out the right way. Right. All right.
0: Let's 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 dig into some cold, hard science. What do you say? Yeah, um, let's do it. What we're going to do now, I want to break down what the actual action card deck looks like. I've actually seen this question a lot. Um, so... The, the here's there are 80 cards in the action card deck i don't know if you already know this you can easily look at the components and see it but like what does that mean in terms of what is actually in the deck there yeah. are multiple cards that there are four of and it's really important for you to know what cards there are multiples of um because you need to know if someone spends a certain card are there more of those that i need to worry about or once it's in the discards are we done worrying about that until the discards get redrawn which is right. usually around round six you see the the discards get redrawn. Um, so here, here are the list of all of the action cards of which there are four multiples, and there is no other variation of multiples of any action card. There's nothing where there's only two of a certain action card. So the ones that you have four multiples of are Skilled Retreat, which is an action card that uh, lets you bail out of a system before a combat. We'll talk more about Skilled Retreat later. Um, there's also Maneuvering Jets, which lets you block a PDS hit. There's flank speed, which lets you add plus one movement to your uh, to your activation step, so you're going to get a lot more ships a lot further. Uh, direct hit lets you kill a sustained damage unit that has just been sustained, so really big for targeting dreadnoughts or war suns or flagships and killing them in one fell swoop. Shields holding lets you block two hits in combats. I've seen multiple little scraps purely defined. By shields holding, right? Shields holding is a really big card, and with there being four of them, they're kind of constantly getting in the way of combats. Yeah. Um, next up is morale boost, which lets you add plus one. Uh, obviously, morale boost is better for big fights uh, rather than you know adding plus one to two fighters. Is kind of like euh, that's not especially great, but if you got a huge right. fight, morale boost can be a big deciding factor. Uh, And finally, there are four Sabotages in the deck. And Sabotage is the big one that people count. That's the one where you'll literally hear people go, okay, we saw one get burned in round two. Two last round, there's one Sabotage left. So we need to worry about that. Um, Because Sabotage lets you cancel the effect of any other action cards. And especially for late game plays, Sabotages become incredibly important. So that's why you're always hearing people talk about how many Sabotages have been used. uh, Because people are, really good players will keep track of that because they need to know when their good cards become extra good because they cannot be sabotaged.
1: Especially, uh, I'm thinking public disgrace or political stability. Right, like that. right. Uh, so uh, I have a question, Matt. Uh, can I sabotage a sabotage? No! Get out of here with that. Uh, the only oh, way to stop no. a
0: sabotage is with the extra kingdom ability instinct training. But a sabotage cannot sabotage a sabotage. Yeah. Boy, that's a lot of sabotage words. Um, so that's, that makes up 28 cards of the 80-card deck. The other 52 cards in the deck are all one-ofs. Every single card in there is, is one-of-a-kind. The only kind of, like, exception worth note is there are eight writers in the deck They all have effectively the same um, idea behind them, but the benefits you gain from each of them is different. A writer is one of those cards that get played during an agenda. Uh, You make a prediction, you don't get to vote, but if your prediction becomes true, you gain a little effect. And basically it's one per each strategy card, and the writers fall in line with the different effects that you get from the eight strategy cards in the game. So that's, that's the math of your action card deck. So when you see something like the action card Spy get played, you don't need to worry about Spy coming out again for a very, very long time. Right. Same goes with things like Reactor Meltdown, or especially you'll hear people talk about pub di- Public Disgrace. If the Public Disgrace comes out in round two or three, a lot of times you'll hear good players be like, uh, ooh, I wouldn't have done that, because that's one you want to save for later, and there's only one of them, so you're never going to see it again. And it also just gives a lot of security to the people who are banking on there not being a Public Disgrace. If you burn it early, their plans just got a lot better.
1: All right. Um, so, what's something else that's important to know about action cards? You've broken down <laughs> ha- like how many cards there are, uh, but what 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 do I really need to know if I'm just like just trying to figure out these these little guys? How Butter, do I do that?
0: I have one solid piece of advice for you, and uh, it, it's this. It's very simple. When you receive an action card, um, I'm gonna encourage you to go ahead and
1: read. That action card. Just go ahead and read it. Just go you ahead know what and I mean. Read that. Like, don't don't just set it down. You just go ahead. You go got ahead. it. It's in your hand. Just look right at it. Just and go I, ahead and, and read I don't it. Just mean read it. I mean, you should. it. I mean, it. read. What I you mean need by to re- read it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean that in, by read it. I mean look at all of the words and understand <laughs> what they mean. That's what I mean by read it. I mean it's, to look at it in the, at, with your with your eyes and know what all the words on it them mean. Yeah. Uh, The most important thing there
0: being uh, know what you're going to get out of an action card, Uh, like Uh know the opportunities it's going to grant you because there's some where you can read it and go, oh, that's not very much. I know that I'm never that's just not going to get me very much stuff. And there's some where you can read it and go, that's a huge effect. And I need to think about when I'm going to use that. And part of thinking about when you're going to use it is you need to be very clear with your brain about what the timing window of that action card is wait because what do you mean is...
1: by timing window i'm looking if... at the cards right now and it doesn't say timing window a- anywhere You're what are you talking right. about there is bolded text on every
0: action card and you need to know what that bolded text is, is suggesting to you because all of those words are actually very clearly well not not always clearly it's not clear <laughs> it's not no. clear at all be nice but be nice these words it's actually really are, hard are relating to timing windows things like after you activate a system, is not like a generic thing. What after you activate a system is specifically the moment after your command counter hits a system and you activate it. Now is when you play that card. Yes. That's the
1: only timing that you can play that card, and you should
0: not wait until any longer to play that card. Actually, so, this
1: it, I gotta. I, let's get even more basic, Matt. Define what, is, what do you mean by timing window? Why do we say window? Because you
0: have a window of opportunity for which you can play that card. And if you wait too long, you're no longer allowed to play that right, card. Right, because right. the but, status but, but, of the game has changed. And, and it's it's not a legal move.
1: Okay, here, well, here's, here's what I wanted to, to stress specifically. The yeah. reason it's called a timing window is because your action card needs to happen at that specific time before the next yes. step takes place. Exactly. Oftentimes... Because if the next step happens, that's when we get into angle shooting territory. And maybe you get to know things that you shouldn't know before you get to play your action card. So that's why... And a lot of people, especially when they first start playing games like this or just Twilight Imperium in general, they don't really get how important a timing window can be. It can basically help you make your entire decision if you get to like see one step extra than you're supposed to i'll
0: give you a really clear example the action card veto is after after an agenda is revealed discard that agenda and reveal one agenda from the top of the deck players vote on this agenda instead the timing window of veto is immediately after the agenda is revealed now actually what's funny i read that but the errata for veto is when an agenda is revealed. They eroded this because if you wait until after an agenda is revealed, lots of get- people get to play these writer cards on it. And if you veto an agenda after multiple people have played writer cards, it makes all of their writers evaporate. Or maybe you have to take them, everyone gets their writers back. It was a really unclear situation. So they decided, no, it, it should be before. So veto was changed. If you... In your copy of Twilight Imperium, you have a copy of a card that says veto and it says after an agenda is revealed. That's wrong. And you should you should know that because it is, it is now when. It is the same timing as extras quash. It is the same timing as anyone's political secret promissory note. The other reason, even disregarding the idea of when versus after an agenda is revealed, if you wait for three people to vote on an agenda and then decide to play a veto, obviously you're going into that decision with that veto with way too much information. than like if you, it doesn't make any sense. If you think about it, the same thing goes for any other political scenario. I mean, think about American politics. If you get to know who's going to win, The results of an election before it happens, you shouldn't get to go into the, you you don't get to change the results, right? Right. You don't get to decide that that is no longer on the table. You don't get to wait for someone to win a political office and then go, oh, actually, we're not going to have this vote at all. We're not going to do that, even though that probably happens in American politics all the time. But it shouldn't happen in Twilight Imperium.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I loved, I loved all of that. So what are we going to do for the rest of the episode? Uh, we, if For those of you that were hoping that we were literally going to read through every single action card, uh, wait a minute. You're not far we have, off. We, <laughs> you're not far off. We, we have, we're going to do it. We're going to do it in a special fun way. But today, we wanted to be a, a little more uh, resourceful for you as a player. And we just wanted to go ahead and break down some confusing action cards. We actually yes. already did Veto, which is really good that you brought that up. Right. Uh with the uh that the when card is back. actually wrong, that it's been eroded. Right. Um so that should say when. And what and what's the what's the difference between when and after? Well in the rule book, it's clearly defined as two separate steps. And the point being
0: is is really it just comes down to when is before after. So there's yeah. just th- that's literally it. And that's why we say timing windows is because there's not really a better way to define any of this. Because in some ways, they're sort of just made-up terms that the the rules of the rule book needed to make just to make certain things operate properly. So when something happens, you can do things that are the timing window of when. And after the when has happened, you can do the after. Isn't that <laughs> stupid? <laughs> right.
1: But that's that's where we're at. That's the and, name uh, of the game, it's a and great that's why game. you need to read the Hey, we we card. love the game. We love the game. Um so yeah, let's talk about let's talk about some more cards. Let's talk about some confusing cards. Since we're in the agenda phase, anyways. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about bribery. Yeah. Um, what does bribery allow you to do? After the speaker,
0: after, there you go. After the speaker votes on an agenda, you may spend any number of trade goods. For each trade good spent, cast one additional vote for any outcome?
1: Yeah, see that's the pr- that's the troubling part, and we actually had a player misunderstand this in the tournament today, which and I don't is a real blame shame. Them for misunderstanding, and no, I this. don't. I don't blame <laughs> them either. I do not blame them either. Is it a? It is a very confusing card. And actually, for the record, uh, that some some of like some of these rulings are so difficult that they could change in the future. This is yeah. just as we understand <laughs> it right the, now. As
0: of. Uh, January 20th, 2019, these are how we understand all of these action cards, and all right. of this is subject to change.
1: Yeah. So, uh, what what is the misunderstanding here with bribery? That
0: bribery, bribery says cast one additional vote for any outcome, but actually within the rules, uh, I believe it's 8.15 or 8... I forget the exact number, but if you're in your living rules reference, you can find it, and it the ruling is essentially... You cannot play an action card that gives you additional votes and use those votes on something different from what you voted on. So in yes. today's scenario, Mentac voted in favor of, let's say, the for option. It wasn't that, but I'm going to simplify it. Mentac voted for an agenda, and then once everyone else has, had voted, they decided to play bribery and wanted to add trade goods as votes for the against option because bribery says... Uh, An additional vote for any outcome, but the rules specifically stipulate that bribery needs to be for the same thing that you voted for. And if you didn't vote, if you abstained, you do not get to play bribery, actually, in this instance. So don't let the text of bribery fool you because it is it is not (laughs) all as it seems.
1: Yeah, don't be silly and just read the card and think that's the end of it. That's that's <laughs> wild. This is Twilight no.
0: Imperium. You are expected to read a thing and then go dig through the rule book and read all of the relevant text.
1: Right, right. To make sure, because it's like it's like uh, <laughs> you might be tricked. You know what I mean? Everything you read in Twilight Imperium, you should just be like, "Well, that's what it says right now." But is yes. that really it? <laughs> um, the next one we want to talk about is skilled retreat. Uh, and also the card intercept. What yeah. does skilled retreat? We already talked about a little bit. Um, it allows you to uh, Duck out well, of the actually, system.
0: yeah. Just just read me the card. At the start of a combat round, move all of your ships from the active system into an adjacent system that does not contain another player's ships. The space combat ends in a draw. Then place a command token from your reinforcements in that system. The important thing to note here, and Dane Beltrami will be the first one to tell you, is he hates the name of the card skilled retreat because yep. skilled retreat is distinctly. Not a retreat? And by that we mean there are specific rules for retreat activations. When you do a retreat, you do X, Y, and Z. With skilled retreat, you don't do X, Y, and Z. You do exactly what skilled retreat says on the card. Right. So don't ever think that skilled retreat is a retreat. And the most important way that happens is because of the card intercept. Intercept Uh, allows you to cancel a retreat after it's been declared. But as we just noted... Skilled retreat is not a retreat, so you cannot use an intercept to cancel a skilled retreat.
1: God, this is the most annoying episode. Isn't this um, the most annoying episode? It this is, is annoying. Just tips now. This is just also, tips for action cards. Also, uh, one one thing I wanna uh, I wanna say. So, in skilled retreat creates a situation that we're not very familiar with in Twilight Imperium, yep. which is that of a draw. Right now, Matt. Don't a draw even, don't you it, even do this does to that me. mean does that mean that both put the players lost or does that mean that it was a draw
0: hand to god i don't know <laughs> I, ju- I just don't know. I asked Dane this actually in the middle of a game and he, he managed, he was available so- somehow and he responded to me, but his response was, I'm going to have to check on Monday. Cause I've ruled on this in the past and I don't remember my ruling and I don't want to tell you the wrong answer. So as of right now, in this moment, I am not sure if a draw is both players lose. It's definitely not both players win. Cause a win is certainly right. not a draw, but right. some people believe that draw is a third status amongst battles and some people believe that it's both players lose and there are certain things that activate off of a win or a loss that make this important so yeah. i guess tbd well, yeah. we'll, we'll you'll hear from we'll, us next week in the errata when i maybe we'll, get we'll, an answer
1: we'll get back to you on that all right so the next one we want to talk about is actually three different cards yeah. and this one's kind of more my because of a mistake i make in my brain sure uh that i feel like a lot of other people make but i'm i'm very partial to it um, let's talk about m- maneuvering jets versus shields holding versus direct hit, because there's some overlapping logic that you could that could mess you up, um, or actually, the idea is that there's actually some logic that does not overlap very right. specifically. Right. So what does maneuvering jets do?
0: Maneuvering jets lets you, uh, before you assign a hit produced by another place, space cannon roll, you can cancel one hit. And shield holding is before you assign hits to your ships during a space combat, cancel up to two hits. The important thing here is to, to know that the timing of space cannon is not during combat, which means when someone scores PDS hits, you cannot use shield holding. And when someone scores hits during combat, you cannot use maneuvering jets. Yeah. Now, the so way- they
1: they are exclusive. Yes. Now, what, what messes me up every time is I forget that they are exclusive because... Direct hit is... uh, Well, what is direct hit?
0: Direct hit works basically on completely different terms. Direct hit reads, after another player's ship uses sustained damage to cancel a hit produced by your units, destroy that ship. One of the common misconceptions with direct hit is direct hit on it doesn't say anything about space combat. It is just about hits produced by units. So direct hit... If you sustain damage on a dreadnought after PDS fires on it, you are allowed to score direct hit. You are allowed to kill that unit with a direct hit action card. Right. Um, The same thing goes for in space combat. So both maneuvering jets and shield holding can be used to protect your sustained damage units instead of sustaining that damage and possibly getting a direct hit played on you. That is essentially how all three of those action cards uh, play off of one another.
1: Yeah. So direct hit, uh, is something that overlaps, like basically all of the different phases of combat. Whereas maneuvering jets and shields holding for defense right. are separated as far as what part of the of the combat, the overall fighting. Uh, you can use it in. Now, This I think one of the reasons that this messes with my brain a lot uh, is because I'm actually, especially when we first started playing, uh, I was not very good at following the rule of actually read the card. And I believe at one point I assumed, without even reading, (laughs) that I assumed that Lucky Shot was a direct hit for PDS. Right. And because of that thought, that's a it, stab. <laughs> I know. Isn't that a stab? It's really ridiculous. Um, and I just like messed that up in my head and then for some reason then could not remember about maneuvering jets right. because right. of that weird, I don't know, that inequality in my head. Um, I also wanted to bring up uh, flank speed uh, kind of last minute, like while we were going over everything. And the reason I wanted to bring up flank speed um, which I don't have the... If you could read the card for me real quick, i Flank love speed that. is after you activate a system, apply plus
0: one to the move value of each of your ships during this tactical action.
1: Yeah. So uh, I just wanted to bring up flank speed for this reason because uh, just to emphasize the order of it being you throw your command counter down on the hex that you're going to move to. Then you play flank speed. Then someone can sabotage Right. It. You don't commit... You don't commit all of your ships to moving and then, like, right. have it sabotaged then. You you do the movement step after someone has had a chance to sabotage.
0: Honestly, sabotage more than any other action card is the reason all timing windows are important. It's because the information you are supposed to have when it comes to playing a flank speed and whether or not someone decides to sabotage it is they don't technically get to know what all ships you're bringing. You get to leave that a little bit of a mystery And if they decide to sabotage it, maybe sometimes you played the flank speed and you almost had nothing else that you could get there, but you were trying to bait out a sabotage. There are things like that that can happen, but the important part is they are not supposed to know that you're bringing your flagship and four dreadnoughts and two cruisers with the flank speed. They just need to either sabotage it or not. And if they want to count out all of your ships, that's their prerogative.
1: Right. And so the thing is, uh, and, and a lot of this stuff has to do with, with player discipline, really. Right. is like if I'm playing a flank speed, I'm not moving any of my ships until I know that I'm not being sabotaged. Exactly. And then once I start moving them, that that's it. You're, You're not done. You don't speed.
0: get to play the sabotage anymore. You don't, you don't get to see that, oh, your flagship can make it. Oh, then I'm sabotaging the flank speed. Nope. Right. The timing right. window is done. I get to bring my flagship now.
1: Right. We're in the movement step. We're right. in a whole new step. Um, okay, so next one is repeal law. What is one, repeal law?
0: This one's really basic, uh, and I wanted to cover it super fast because this is one of those. It's it, this is actually just a rule in the rule book that is very commonly overlooked. Repeal law reads: action, discard one law from play. Um, the only reason repeal law is worth mentioning in this list of common mistakes is if you repeal a law that is giving someone a victory point. The best examples of this are Crown of Amphidia and Shard of the Throne, both of which. Give you a victory point, but if someone attacks you and wins that combat, they take that victory point from you, you lose a victory point, and they go up a victory point. In the rulebook, it specifically disc uh, dis- says that if you discard an agenda that is giving someone a victory point from play, they keep The victory point, despite losing the agenda, which means they can never lose that victory point. It essentially becomes like an objective. So, a pretty amazing play that you can do is if you can manage to get the Shard of the Throne when you have a repeal law in played, your first action that next round after Shard of the Throne comes out should be to repeal that Shard of the Throne so that nobody can take that point from you, especially with Shard of the Throne because Shard of the Throne is so easily lost.
1: Yep, 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 yep. All right, so let's talk about Unstable Planet and also Uprising.
0: This, uh, this is- This is the one I'm least looking forward to talking about.
1: Yeah, the, the these are- What really sucks about this one is that it, they're, bo- they're quite confusing, both of them, for some very specific reasons. Yep. And what sucks is they don't really do- Like, they're not super important. They're no. just super
0: confusing. Yep. So I want to talk about uprising first uprising okay. is as an action and we never really covered this but any action card that says action in all bold that is as your full instead of doing a tactical action or playing your strategy card you do this thing. And so the timing that's window, all you do that's the timing window do. is when it's my turn um, so uprising is action exhaust one non home planet controlled by another player then gain uh, trade goods equal to its resource value. This card is very much defined by the way different uh, words are interpreted in the rulebook, mainly then. Uh, With a then thing, you are not allowed to do anything that follows the word then if you cannot do the things that come before it. So for Uprising, if you want to gain any trade goods, the planet that you target has to be unexhausted because part of the action requires you to exhaust that planet. So if you want to exhaust Zobat so that you can gain three trade goods, if that player has already spent Zobat, you cannot uprise it. It is not an option. Right, 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 Now, Unstable Planet is very distinctly, differently worded. It is action, choose one hazardous planet, period, exhaust that planet, and destroy one infantry on it. Now, the important part to get out of the way is Unstable Planet was eroded. It is not exactly three infantry. It is up to three infantry. So that got rid of that confusion but the rest of the confusion comes from the word and, and I don't even feel comfortable like talking about this card because I had one notion of how this card should be ruled. And then recently a player showed us an email where Dane gave kind of a different interpretation. So more than any other action card in, or maybe more than any other component in the deck or in the game, I think this is the one you will most likely see changed rulings on, uh, because it was always my interpretation that the hazardous planet for unstable planet can be exhausted and then you can still destroy three infantry on it. But we have an email from Dane that seems to suggest that if the planet has, is already exhausted, then you cannot play this action card on it and you cannot destroy three infantry. I guarantee you, Hunter, we are going to receive a about this. People saying you're absolutely wrong about that. And I'm telling those players right now, we have dug through the annals of history And the best I can tell you is I kind of feel okay about giving this the ruling. This is what we decided in a recent tournament game. And I'm sticking to those guns until we get a much more clear answer from Dane. And as soon as someone can show me the question and answer from Dane that clearly says exactly what happens with Unstable Planet, I have to go off of this really kind of shoddy, weird email that we have from Dane. So I'm, I'm sorry, but Unstable Planet is sort of a broken card at the moment. And I hope yeah. we get better answers in the future.
1: I hope so. I bet we will. Um, so let's talk about, uh, we've already talked about Sabotage. I think everyone understands yes. what that is. But let's talk about the interaction. It's weird that we're, we're going in between uh, strategic advice and also just like explaining how the cards work. I love right. it. This is such a weird pile a weird of information. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about Spy. What does yeah. Spy do?
0: Spy says, as an action, choose one player. That player gives you one random action card from his hand.
1: Mm -hmm. So why do do we recommend always sabotaging Spy, basically, if you have?
0: If you have the sabotage, there is whatever amount of cards you have in your hand, there is that percentage chance that you're going to lose the sabotage anyways randomly, and you might as well sabotage it. Now, if spot- if Sabotage is the worst card in your hand, uh, even more so you should Sabotage it. If Sabotage is your absolute best card and the re- rest is like a dumpster fire, that's the only situation where I'm like, okay, maybe don't. Maybe you get lucky and they don't get the Sabotage. But if you have like a halfway decent hand and it's kind of a 50-50 split, I'm just going to Sabotage Spy because it's better for them to not gain anything than for me to lose that sabotage if i'm gonna lose it anyways i might as well prevent them from getting it it should just be burned
1: i think if you're hardcore though you just look at your hand and you make the you just yeah. you, just, you, gotta, make the you just gotta make the judgment you, you gotta make the judgment if i am a sorrow i probably have so many action cards that i'm right. like whatever i yeah. my whole game isn't you might have two
0: sabotages and then you're like yeah I can lose one i can lose a sabotage it's fine
1: right um or i might get to keep two of them which is great right um Let's talk about Lost Star Chart.
0: Lost Star Chart is a quick and easy one um, because the effect of it is pretty commonly understood. Uh, we just have one s- fun exception. Um, after you activate a system, during this tactical action, systems that contain an alpha and beta wormhole are adjacent to each other. Uh, we actually just had this come up today, which is why we were thinking about it, but there's an agenda that lets the wormholes close and you are no longer to travel allowed to travel f- like from one alpha to the other alpha. They're not treated as adjacent. Yeah. Lost Star Chart does overrule that agenda. It is kind of operating outside of the rules of movement. And the agenda specifically stipulates that like the rules of movement are no longer changed for wormholes. So Lost Star Chart is an override for that. So if you have lost Lost Star Chart and wormholes have been closed, you are okay to use Lost Star Chart. Mm -hmm. You can even use Lost Star Chart to travel from an alpha to an alpha. You don't even have to use Lost Star Chart for its intended use of going alpha to beta. All of the wormholes are treated as adjacent.
1: Yeah. And so, I bet you
0: I'm going to get people that disagree with Uh-huh. Me on that. Yep. You're going to get in <laughs>
1: trouble on that one. I could already hear it in my head. I was like, oh, okay. Um, so here's one that gets misused a lot. And it's yeah, because- I want you to walk us through this one, Hunter. This sure. Is, this uh, well, well, read me the text and then I'll tell you how, be, how it gets messed up. I, I,
0: I've got this weird list of all of them and I have to find Upgrade. Oh, okay. So, so we're,
1: we're talking about Upgrade. And I always feel like when people mess it, this up, this is one of those things where it's like, I totally don't blame you. I've seen it so many times. Um, and it's because you just assume that the card is better than it is, basically. It just has this like weird, like I don't know, kind of annoying issue right, with right. it. Um, so
0: um, here's the point with upgrade. Here's the text. After you activate a system, again, after you activate that important timing window uh, that contains one or more of your ships, replace one of your cruisers in that system with one dreadnought from your reinforcements.
1: Okay. So what this means is that you it's there can be no you're not moving. You're not right. the, the you're not moving a cruiser somewhere and then turning it into a dreadnought. The cruiser right. needs to already be in that system sitting there and then you are activating right. that cruiser and upgrading it. Right. So it's, it's because, because the
0: important point here is what's the timing window after you activate but before yes. movement. And that's where this right. timing window stuff becomes such an important
1: aspect it's like when we were talking about flank speed and sabotaging it it's the window is after activation not after movement right Um, that's what it would need to say if it were to work like that and maybe we'll see a card in the future that works like that that would be super cool yeah um but yeah i uh honestly i think the best utility for upgrade is that you had a cruiser already sitting at a space dock that you were going to activate to build stuff and then look you got an extra you got an extra dreadnought upgrade out of it yeah, so, I hate having um, like that. a
0: cruiser sitting on a wormhole somewhere and then uh-huh. they activate that system just to upgrade it to a dreadnought. That's a waste of a command counter. You should get that cruiser somewhere safe and do exactly what Hunter just said. Build in a space dock that happens to have a cruiser already there.
1: Yeah. Uh, next one is uh, I'm really excited to talk about because I get to get a little bit of revenge on Matt. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about Courageous to the End. Uh-huh. So Courageous to the End reads,
0: after one of your ships is destroyed during a space combat you roll two dice for each result equal to or greater than that ship's combat value. Your opponent must choose and destroy one of his ships.
1: Uh-huh. So, uh, Matt, is this combat? Is, is this happening? It's not. And I think, combat? I think
0: we literally messed this up in our game today. I think we, yeah. we basically what, uh, so Necro's ability lets them score hit, uh, hits in combat. And if they destroy ships in combat, they get to gain tech. They should not gain tech off of Courageous to the End.
1: Yeah. And so the reason this one sticks in my tummy, in my craw so bad, (laughs) is that the very first time, the very first time I played uh, Necro when we got TI4, um, I was like, oh, I can just throw this one cruiser at this big fleet and use Courageous to the End to get some tech. And uh, I tried to do that and we ruled. That we ruled this way. Now, I mean, how certain are you that this is the correct ruling? Because I feel no, like it's I'm not. right, but I'm not.
0: I, I, it feels right because of how we rule ambush. We say ambush is not a part of combat. Yes, it is yes. at the start of combat, and the wording of the card is not that you roll combat. It's that you roll, and if you hit the combat value of the thing. Yeah. This is where right, all these terms right. get so weird and nebulous. But it's my understanding that courageous to the front or courageous to the end should not earn necro tech? and uh, whatever else uh, is important to to note off of uh, destroying ships. Um, it, yeah. is, it sounds like it is not during combat. Yeah. Now, I, I don't know. The way I can see this one going the other way is because it says destroyed during a space combat. So it's kind of specifically stipulated it's during space combat, but that's the sort of phrasing that I think rules lawyers attach to, and I don't think that is necessarily something that is defined by the game and so... I don't think it bends that way, but I'm willing well, to. I'm willing to be wrong here,
1: basically. Oh yeah, yeah, and 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 you know we, this one, uh, well you know we're probably gonna get this is probably gonna be the most eroded episode yes. we've had in a while. I think that's anyways. the point of this
0: episode, honestly, is for yeah. us to get all these things out into the ether, and hopefully we see a bunch of Dane emails come in. I'll say this much: if you have a disagreement with an action card and you don't have a Dane email backing you up, I can't listen to you. I can't believe. Right, right. I right. don't. I don't have you have to, to remember.
1: In this world, Dane's, Dane's word is law. So, yeah. I mean, this is a game designed by a person that has just decided how it works, and that's how it right. is. It, right. Um, so let's talk about salvage. This yeah, one's pretty simple. Salvage is
0: very simple. Uh, salvage is after you win a space combat, your opponent gives you all of their commodities. Um, yeah. I've, just, I've seen people try to steal trade goods with this, and it's just really important to note that you don't steal trade goods. In fact, there are no ways to steal trade goods outside of mentac and there's only one way in the game to lose trade goods and that's the agenda economic equality Um, yeah so so nothing else in the game ever causes you to lose trade goods and that includes salvage salvage trade trade goods are
1: trade goods are very very safe which is why salvage
0: is so hard to use because you have to win a combat while someone is holding on to their commodities and usually most people burn all their commodities when trade gets played because the whole point is you play trade and you get all the deals done immediately
1: uh, let's talk about one of my favorites. Oh, wait, this isn't one of my favorites. This one's fine, but it's not one of my favorites. Let's talk about disable. Yeah.
0: This is another situation where I'm stalling. Here we go. All right. At the start of an invasion combat in a system that contains one or more of your opponent's PDS units, your opponent's PDS units lose planetary shield and space cannon during this invasion. Invasion's is a really confusing uh, step in, in kind of the process of T.I., and because the important thing is you get to bombard a planet before you commit any infantry in twilight Imperium fourth ed- edition. So in, in some people's heads, you kind of separate invasion from bombardment because invasion right. combat or ground combat, as it really should always be referred to as ground combat does happen after bombardment. bombard, but a part of the greater invasion step bombardment is the first step in that process which means when you play disable should be immediately after you have declared an invasion and before you have bombarded i mean really it's the entire reason this card exists is because you want to cancel planetary shield you want to be able to bombard with a dreadnought where normally you wouldn't be able to bombard the added benefit is that your ground forces that invade also don't get shot at but I've seen this one get pretty mucky and confused and people try to figure out if you can use it for bombardment. And yes, it's it's absolutely the purpose.
1: Yeah. Uh, another thing I've seen people mess up with this one, this one's a little more obvious that this is a mistake, but I've yeah. seen people try and use Disable to just not get shot at. like right. You're still... Like After the, movement the, for PDS offense. Right. There's a difference between PDS offense and PDS... PDS defense. Uh, or space cannon offense space and cannon defense. defense.
0: And yeah. yeah, this is this is for invasion only. You cannot cancel a PDS's Space Cannon Rolls on your ships.
1: Yeah. Not in uh, this way, at least. So, Unexpected Action. This is a great card. Um, this is fun. Yes. Uh, it's in, in fact, actually, we've got, a, we've got two back-to-back that kind of have the same theme. Right. Uh, unexpected Action, uh, I mean, it's sort of similar to the Warfare Strategy card. Right. Um, but what is the exception? What, what, uh, what does it say there?
0: Well, Unexpected Action is just very distinctly not doing the secondary of Warfare, or not secondary but of do, Warfare, but doing the primary of Warfare. So right. when we think about Warfare, it's I get to take one command token from the board, and I get to set it in my uh, command token area, and then I also get to redistribute all my stuff. Um, unexpected Action reads, Action, remove one of your command tokens from the game board and return it to your reinforcements. And we just so often see players forget that you don't get to put it on your board. Reinforcements is a different area than on your player sheet with your command tokens. Um, So unexpected action is distinctly worse than the primary of warfare.
1: For sure. Uh, I just think people get excited about unexpected action because it's going to let you pull off a really cool play likely. Um, And it's also in that weird kind of Goldilocks zone where people don't always sabotage. They don't look at it as something that really has to be sabotaged unless they know exactly what you're going to do with it. Right. Um, so it's exciting in that way. Uh, so, yeah, I just think people get uh, too excited, but you need to plan out unexpected action. You need to have right. the command counters ready to actually move the ships that you're going to you know, quit, like you're going to unlock them from right. being locked down, and then you have to figure out how to move them as well.
0: Uh, So on a similar trend here is the action card signal jamming Uh, signal jamming's text would allow you to think that this is very similar to the primary of diplomacy, which allows everyone forces everyone to place a command token in a system which essentially prevents them from reactivating that system during the round. Uh, unless they're able to get rid of that command counter from maybe unexpected action or warfare. But generally, (laughs) it prevents anyone from targeting a system. Signal jamming is, again, an action card that has a similar effect but is distinctly worse. Signal jamming reads, action, choose one non-home system that contains or is adjacent to one of your ships. Place a command token from another player's reinforcements in that system. So this is targeting one player. You get to cancel one player from activating a system. Um, what's interesting about signal jamming is signal jamming opens up the opportunity to use it on Mechatal Rex, whereas diplomacy, you are strictly pro- forbidden from using it on Mechatal Rex. But if you've got one player that you know is gunning for Mechatal Rex, signal jamming is your only option.
1: Yeah. Um, next one is really fun. Uh, let's talk about emergency repairs.
0: Emergency repairs at the start or end of a combat round. Repair all of your units that have sustained damage in the active
1: system. Yeah, so th- this is pretty much any time you would get to like repair from Duranium or right. from a, You you can use this, so you can use this even right after PDS fire, right. um, which actually you wouldn't be able to use Duranium at that point. I believe
0: so, but then the, the, like, the Barony flagship operates different. All of these different things that repair sustained damages are all happening in all these different varying timing windows. And so, emergency repairs is, like, an important one because it says beginning or end. And the way that is most useful is as long as you, let's say you have Dreadnought 2, so you know you're not going to get direct hitted, um... Uh, It's really, really safe if you have an emergency repairs to go into a system with PDS, let those PDS hit your dreadnoughts, and then immediately at the beginning of the first round of combat, you get to use emergency repairs to repair them all back up. So it's like the PDS never happened. Right. Because, and this is one of those interesting timing windows, at the start of a combat round and at the start of combat are effectively the same timing window. They equal each other. Um, Right. So at the start of a combat round, uh, like morale boost has the same timing window. You do that at the same time you do any other at the start of combat. If we're talking about only the first round.
1: Ooh, that brings me to uh, something we probably should have covered earlier in the episode. What happens if I have more than one morale boost and yeah, I want to play so, both of them? Sure, this is this is a, a
0: pretty clear ruling in the rulebook, but it's just one of those, again, there's so many rules, and we understand if you don't memorize every single rule in the rulebook. We don't either. We constantly look up rules in the rulebook. Um, you can't play two of the same named cards in one activation. Now, if a card gets played and then sabotaged and you have a backup copy, you can still play that one, but you can't play two morale boosts back-to-back to boost your stuff to... You can you can only use one morale boost to boost it plus one.
1: Yeah. Um, All right, we've only got a few left. We want to talk about Um, insubordination. What is insubordination for specifically? It says specifically what. This is just a reminder, one because we're annoyed. What is it for? What does it do? Remove one token from another player's
0: tactic pool and return it to his reinforcements.
1: Which pool? Tactic pool. The swimming pool? The tactic pool. The, the hot tub? The tactic
0: pool. The fleet supply? Stop it. It's the tactic pool, you buffoon. All right, let's talk about Imperial Rider. All right, Rider. let's talk about Imperial Rider. Uh, Imperial Rider, the only reason we put this on the list uh, is because we used to mess this up. All oh, the time. this is.
1: We mess this up constantly. Yep. Like, it really blew my mind the day I was like, wait we've been we, oh no we've up. been really messing this up yeah and this is really comes down to something that
0: we do that kind of exists outside of the rules which is i always like the the little scoring area around the scoreboard i like it to be nice and clean and i want to be able to at any moment look at that scoring area and know where every single point is coming from so yeah. the best example of this is when someone scores a point off of imperial um, and they own mecha rex there's not, there's not like a, you don't, you know, f- for an objective, you put your control tar- uh, marker on the objective to show I've claimed this, but there's nowhere to put a control marker for Imperial. So we usually put it on the custodian's token as just yeah. like an extra token. It's like, okay, that's where that point comes from. The point being I should be able to at any point look over and go, have we, did we do all the math right and go, okay, ghost has one, two, three, four, six. All right. They have six and they should have six points. Yes. It all adds up. Great. We haven't been messing this up. So what we used to do with Imperial Rider is we took the Imperial Rider action card, and we set it by the scoring area, and we put a little control marker on it, and we forgot about it, and we decided that was not a big deal. Um, uh-huh. But what's, what's supposed to happen with the
1: Imperial Rider action card? Well, it's card? supposed to go into the discard pile, you dingus. Because you then, played the card, and then you put right. it there. <laughs> Why
0: right. is that so important?
1: Because if you're playing a game with Ysarl or you're just playing a long game, eventually the, the discard pile will need to get reshuffled and you'll get to draw from it again. Yes. So it's supposed to be possible for someone to get Imperial Rider more than once. What was so cool today, Hunter, that we saw a player do... <laughs> Extra scored Imperial Rider. No, they scored it once, and then they got it a second time, and I don't think they did score it the second time. Uh, no, or, they did. They scored they it. They did? Yeah. So they scored it twice. That they happened. scored
0: Imperial Rider two separate times, um, which is insane. Same, same player. To have same that player. kind of like, prediction ability and be able to call it that well, That that's a big deal. And yeah, two of Extra's points were purely off of Imperial Rider.
1: Yeah uh we have here's one that we want to talk about uh the next card this <laughs> is just said petty this before. i'm very yeah, i'm very vocal about this, this is just us being petty though um we're gonna talk about plague what, what yeah. do we have to say about plague all right let me read the text okay. action
0: choose one planet that is controlled by another player roll one die for each infantry on that planet for each result of six or greater destroy one of those units
1: and what do we have to say about that?
0: This card sucks, and I hate it, and I think it's like just total dog crap, and that's always my first card that I discard because it's almost... Here's the only use of Plague as a stall. I absolutely have to stall this round, and I need to use a, a card that is as an action, and I want to burn the least good card in my hand. Boom, Plague. Plague is always the least good card in my hand. Uh, but, me. Matt,
1: why is Plague so bad? I don't understand. It's the
0: only action card in the whole deck... That is then also re- assigned random chance. Right. Uh, plague could do absolutely nothing. You could play plague and they could roll. You could roll six ones and nothing gets destroyed and your plague was completely useless. Yeah. Um, so, so plague sucks and I hate it. And I, I just never, and just, anytime if someone ever like, here's something that's fun that happens. People are like, Hey, uh, Matt, I see you've got six ground forces on that planet. Uh, how much? How many trade goods do you want to give me not to play Plague? My answer every time is play Plague. I could I could give a crap. I do not care. Bring it on because guess what? You're probably going to get like two hits and I'm going to be fine. Yeah. Um, so I, I've never been threatened by Plague. I'll never pay you uh, to not play Plague. Uh, it's, it's like a
1: completely empty threat to me. I just think you have bad Plague luck.
0: Probably. Like, I, just,
1: I just think you've tried to use it and it didn't work out because technically, statistically... It should be better than that. Because I
0: also you know? have I also have terrible gravity rift luck. So we're That's kind true. of operating in the same wheelhouse, except for opposite dice rolls. I don't know. There is one other reason to bring up plague though, which is kind of interesting. This is a bit of a, a Dane errata um, that uh, this is kind of the only card that it really really matters on. But um, plague happens as an action, um, and and the timing of which you are allowed to sabotage plague is really um, kind of hard to understand. The gist being, once you oh, have wow. rolled the dice, you have lost the opportunity to sabotage plague. Yeah, it's This happening. goes back to our veto argument, right? Like, things have been learned about what's going to happen. You don't get to use that new information to be like, oh, crap, actually, this plague hurt me really, really bad. Now I'm going to sabotage it. No. Yeah. Once the player has chosen who the target is, that's your opportunity to play plague.
1: So I mean I think that the gentleman, the gentlemanly thing to do, or gentle womanly thing to do, or mm-hmm. gentle themly—I uh, don't know about sure. that—but yeah, uh, sure, uh-huh, <laughs> uh, would be to so when you play an action card, just like it might get sabotaged. Like if you're playing with skilled players, they they know that they can sabotage stuff. Right. So you might as well just play it, let it breathe for a second, let everybody have a look at it. And decide whether they're going to sabotage it or not, right? Because like, if your plan is to like slip by people, just feels like that's not really how Twilight Imperium works. Like, it's a it's a difficult to understand game, but the way I feel like the more and more we've learned about these timing windows and how they're supposed to function, it's not supposed to be like things just. It's not supposed to be about slipping by everybody else. Yeah, especially just like solid strategy. Yeah.
0: Generally speaking, if you feel like you're getting one over on somebody because of like a tiny little minute thing, you're probably not. The way you get one over on someone is with a big play that accomplishes something they weren't expecting. But it's very rare that you just get to like do a little thing and it's like, see, I got away with it. Because so often the timing windows are what block you.
1: Yeah. All right, well, now we have one more card to talk about and I feel like longtime <laughs> listeners of the show could probably predict what the most confusing action card we would talk about. Uh-huh. What would be the most confusing if we're talking about confusing cards? So what so we're talking comes about confusing cards, what would be uh, Oh, confusing. can we call can we call our friend Connor, Connor and ask him what he thinks would be the most confusing, confusing. Card. Card. What card would it be? Just Uh, go and don't even read the title, just read the text. (laughs) (laughs) When you are elected uh
0: to be the outcome of an agenda. When you are elected, Oh wait, is that what it says? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is that what it says? No, I I read it funny because Oh, you got you got confused. The the text confused. I got really confused by the legal text of this card. Yeah. When? when not after when you are elected as the outcome of an agenda choose one player that player is the elected player instead <laughs> here's some things okay. this here's uh... <laughs> some things this card doesn't say but also says it doesn't say When you are elected the outcome of an elect player agenda.
1: Uh Uh-huh.
0: It doesn't say that. Uh Uh-huh. It is what it means, and that is the only way you can play it is if it's an elect player agenda. But boy, howdy, have we seen this card used on not elect player agendas. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Because here's the thing about agendas is a lot of times you can be doing something, and it is clear that it is benefiting one player more than others, right? If you are electing a planet, that is in Barony's slice you are basically electing barony but you're not you're electing the planet and confusing legal text has nothing to do with planets it has to do with players
1: uh, this is the only thing in the game <laughs> like like that i look at in the like there's a lot of stuff that's like confusing uh, and like difficult and, and legal and, and there's le- a lot of things, things that are text. no no I'm done I'm done I'm, done. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm being real now I'm being real uh, but this is the only thing where I'm like oh man must have been a sleepy day you know <laughs> like, <laughs> It's, this is like this is up there with hypermetabolism right. for me as far as Whoopsie like ah oh man must just must have been a a rough one and we just weren't sure how to here's
0: the important here's the here's the important part of confusing legal text
1: yeah when is it useful when do you when do you actually need to use it because there's really now, only
0: there are players that will disagree with the statement and their disagreement yeah. is valid but I'm gonna I'm gonna describe the consensus the consensus is. There are, what, 40 or 50 cards in the agenda deck? Somewhere in there. I can't remember which it is, but there's a lot of agendas. Of all of those agendas, there's a smaller amount of elect player agendas. And of those elect player agendas, there is only one agenda that is clearly a negative effect, and that is public execution. If you get elected by public execution you're going to lose all your action cards. And if you're the speaker, you're going to lose the speaker token. Confusing legal text lets you, as the person who was elected, push that power onto someone else, which means you should be using it to avoid bad stuff. So public execution is the only agenda that confusing legal text is useful with. Yeah. So that means, A, public execution needs to come out, and B, B, you need to be elected and C you (laughs) need to have confusing legal text. So So, I don't remember what the odds are. I'm sure someone has run it, but I believe it is like a one millionth chance or at least like a one thousandth chance of this happening. You have like a one in 1000 chance of this being a thing that's going to happen. Now people will give the argument that sometimes you get elected shard of the throne and you're in a weak position and you do not have an opportunity you do not want to be targeted right now it's not a yeah. good time for everyone sure, to start deciding sure. Ooh, there's the target we want to get points from and so i get that that is a that is another use of confusing legal text whether it be crown of Amphidia or shard of the throne th- those two also can operate but that brings the whopping
1: total of agendas from one to three <laughs> and it makes the case even more specific and it makes it even so- more specific like you, now there's like a D that yeah. is, you are in that situation that you just right. described right now. Right. Yeah. I think that uh, it's, uh, uh, I don't know. It's like, it's like, it doesn't need a Rada because I think we all get what it is supposed to do after Here, here's it's Here's what needs to, to happen. Here's what needs yeah. to happen. And it's a yeah.
0: very simple thing that needs to happen. We need a lot more mean elect player (laughs) agendas in the first expansion. Whatever the first expansion is, there needs to be like six agendas that are just like, this person has to go poop their pants in the bathroom. (laughs) And if you elect this player, they have to give up on their family and loved ones.
1: Right, right, right.
0: So, um, Hunter, if you were going to rank confusing legal text amongst all of the action cards... Too bad you wouldn't be allowed to do that because that's what we're doing next week.
1: Right. So we saw that someone recently made, uh, who was it? Actually, do you even know? Uh, it's on the
0: BoardGameGeek uh, forums. So I know that on
1: the On the BoardGameGeek forums recently, there was a tier list made for the action cards, which I guess that maybe they saw our recent tier lists. No, and I, think, like, this, I oh, think this
0: was separate because we, yeah, we, I don't think it had anything to do with our tier list, but it was just, No, a it did. They're copying us and we're the, everything most comes
1: back to us ever. Uh, so here's <laughs> the thing. So we were like, well, I guess we, and we were thinking about doing a tier list. Um, so, but now it's already been done. So we can't, we can Guess what? We're not going to do a tier list because tier lists are stupid and they're done. <laughs> we are going to rank from worst to best. Every single action card. Tune in next week, part two. (laughs) Uh, Oh, every single action card. Worst to best in numerical order. Come on down Tuesday right after Chips.
0: (laughs) Uh, Next week's going to be maybe the dumbest episode we've ever had. I don't know. Flagship Flagship is a pretty dumb episode.
1: Flagship was pretty dumb. This will be another dumb episode. But also (laughs) uh, we will... Uh, obviously, we covered a lot of the action cards today. We're going to cover all of the rest that we did not cover today. We're going to cover in the worst to best ranking. Um, it will be a good resource for if you just wanted to go through all of them. And I think also uh, just kind of a fun way to, to get our opinion on what uh, cards we think are um important. Yep. And it's crazy. I just realized we're gonna have to pick a number one best action card, best which action sounds card. actually impossible. Yep. That sounds absolutely very difficult. So uh so, if you're
0: if you want to look for that board game geek thread, I've got it pulled up. It is a thread by Patience is a virtue, who is a uh, one of the streamers in the tabletop simulator community. He streams a lot of games. Uh, he has a thread called Action Cards ranking and discussion of all 80 TI4 ACs. Um, And we are here's something we're very specifically not going to do. We are not going to read this thread because we are not going to (laughs) allow our stupid list to be influenced by this dumb tier list because we have a list in order. So we're not going to let that be a part of it. And uh, we're just gonna go forward with whatever our list ends up being. And if it matches a lot of things, that's great. There's a consensus. If not, everyone will disagree with us and agree with as in virtue. So right. good. For uh,
1: them. and and you know what's important to say is that this is not we're not doing this fighting game style. We're doing this BuzzFeed style baby. <laughs> Welcome to our blog. <laughs> Peace. Peace.
0: Oh my gosh. it is this is gonna be the longest episode of Space yeah, Peace yeah, yeah, ever yeah, yeah. because we need to do errata, Hunter.
1: Quick, get in the car. I'm already in the errata. Like you, like literally, I thought we were done talking and that I was already in the errata. That's I don't how, think
0: but, I don't think there was ever even the sound effect. I don't think the sound effect happened. I think we're just here. We're in the errata now. Go.
1: Okay. This one's from uh Milu. Milu? Milu? I love you. This was on our uh, Discord. Okay. Uh, and this is for, uh, what was the episode last week? Maps. We maps. were talking maps. In Maps We Trust. In Maps We Trust, which was so much fun to do that episode. And, th- and you know what? Thanks again to In we trust. It was yeah. so much fun. Yep. Um, okay. My Lou. In the episode, you mentioned TI3, Shattered Ascension, the fan-made mod rule set. I used to play it extensively before TI4 came out and for various reasons stopped after I've gotten a hold of TI4. I wonder why. Maybe it could just be that TI4 is great. Um, I could go on forever about why I don't like playing that mod anymore, but there are still things I miss about it. For instance, uh, and the one thing related to the episode, is the setup rules. This being Tabletop Simulator, the mod creators hadn't found a way to conveniently build a map each time, like in the TI4 mod. So instead, they had a wealth of preset maps. This being based on TI3 and both its expansions, the maps were really varied and some had really wonky shapes. Because yeah, this, is what, Mec- this
0: is what we referred to as the star by star variant. Yeah,
1: yeah. Because Mechatol Rex did not have as big a central importance as in TI4, after selecting the map, all players could just straight up select their faction, no banning phase here. This was not a problem since all races had been balanced in this rule set to have similar power levels. Uh, I think that's a little debatable, but uh, there were no... I don't no... know. I've never played Shattered Ascension. I, I've, I've... Heard, I've heard it's debatable, but yeah. there, okay. there, were, there were no S-tier races. Right. All races had something going for them. After that started, a series of auctions to bid on home system pla- placement, as well as speaker token. After both bids ended, all the bids were added, and the one who bid the most total received only one trade good, while everyone else received more relative to how much... They bid compared to the highest bidder. What I enjoyed about this process was that the two bids were linked. Bid too much on your favorite home system. Probably don't want to bid too much on speaker token after that, or on probably don't want to bid too much on speaker token then, unless you want everyone else to start with a lot of money. Afterwards, the speaker could decide which way the speaker order would go, which would spark a bidding war between the players next to the speaker. Allowing the speaker to recoup his losses if he played his cards right, this process led to some pretty fun pre-game shenanigans. I know that this system probably could not be imp- implemented, in implemented, Jesus, uh, into Ti4, but it did bring excitement to the start of the game rather than the randomness we currently have with the snake drafts. Now, I think the random, what well, the randomness he he's referring to, mm-hmm. is the speaker token cuz we just can't yeah. figure out where to put the darn Dern thing. Figure out what to do with the darn thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where does <Yeah>. it go?
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, I I we kind of just left this whole uninterrupted comment in here because we we don't know enough about uh uh, shattered ascension and basically like i appreciate Milo for for giving us the in-depth explanation there um because yeah I, I i can't give enough information so if you're interested in it certainly look into those rules and, and see how that stuff works it would be really awesome if people could come up with a clever way to re-implement this idea into ti4 i'm always hesitant with trade goods um and so maybe it has to be something different but there are options and i feel like i've even heard a few different ones from just random listeners, kind of messaging us with with ideas. And there's there's a few ideas I'm kind of looking forward to eventually trying. But we got to get through this it, tournament first.
1: Yeah, we got to do that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we I I I don't know. Without obviously, I like the system that we have because I like it because obviously we thought about it and we were like, this is right. how we want to do it. Right. Uh, but uh, the part that I am not happy about that it seems like is part of the system here is a speaker token and speaker order um, because it just I just doesn't feel like it's too important is the yeah. problem yeah it's it's really important for how your round one goes right um, so we can't find a good counterbalance for it I think mm-hmm. is the problem
0: right um, it's it's such a big f- contributing factor that trying to balance anything off of it nothing else feels like enough yeah. So just if you get to have speaker token before any other decisions are made, it always feels like, well, they are just going to run away with it. You just have everything. So what else? Mm-hmm. What else is anyone to do? So, all right, we've got one more errata here, and this is one we predicted we would have because we talked about a map and we and, and Max said, I don't remember that map at all. I don't know what you're talking about. And we went, uh oh, we're going to get eroded. And guess what? Schnooker showed up and Schnooker's here to set the story straight. So Schnooker says, I believe the map the Mac doesn't remember making, was something of a collaboration between me and Mac. I think it was the map that was streamed on the YouTube channel on the 16th of May, 2018. Basically, the day or so leading up to the stream in trust was going back and forth with Matt on Discord about a map that had a bunch of anomalies in the center ring, or something to that effect. I think it was decided, uh, decided that even though it was a cool idea, it wouldn't end up being a good stream map. So I hopped on the tabletop simulator and recreated the map they were discussing. I swapped the anomaly dense setter, center with the high value systems uh, that were in the systems and rebalanced the slices to keep the resources fair. I posted my edits and you used that for the stream. Anyway, that's why you guys thought it was a Mac map. It pretty much was. I just hopped in and did some finishing touches, really. Now, he says finishing touches. It sounds like he completely redesigned yeah, the entire map. Yeah, it sounds map. like he did do a so lot. He's, he's, not, <laughs> he's not giving himself enough credit. But, yeah, we played a schnooker map that was sort of based off of an off-the-wall idea Mac had, and that was sort of inverted on
1: itself. And, so, and to be fair to Mac, he like when we brought this up in the episode, he was just like, I don't know what you're that's talking not me. about. Like, yeah. <laughs> So cool! Uh, I think we're almost done with this crazy. We're almost done with this uh, crazy episode. It's rundown time. Everybody, uh, hey, everybody, shut up, sit down. Uh, You can go to our Twitter for game updates and announcements. Uh, It's Space Cats at Space Cats Pod. Come on down. Uh, You can go to our Facebook for announcements and questions, and you can send Matt uh, just messages about all kinds of stuff. uh, Somebody recently sent him a message and was like. Hey, what are you doing awake at this time? Like yeah. Matt responded, did you, see and that you like, saw that oh, I did see that. Hunter it, always I, sees I, the
0: message I send. I yeah, I, I randomly woke up at like two a.m. last night after a ten-hour game yesterday, and like knowing I was going to have to wake up early this morning, I woke up at two a.m. saw a message, went ahead and responded to it real quick, and the person immediately responded, "What the? What do you do? Stop it! Don't respond right now! How dare you!" <laughs> and it was great. That was that's my favorite interaction on Facebook so far.
1: It was, yeah, it was really funny. Um, head on down to the Twilight Imperium subreddit uh, for our, to see our weekly posts and discussion, uh, and just you know throw whatever comment you got on. It's a good it's a good place to kind of jump on board and uh, check out you know just like the show and tell us you know that you think we're dumbies or that hey, you think we're sparklies. you know what you can
0: find on the Twilight Imperium subreddit. What uh, right now I'm looking th- uh, right now I'm looking at a picture um that is actually a picture that was posted in our meme town on our discord but it is the best meme i think that has ever been on our discord and is is now on reddit uh and i'm just going to describe it to you because i just love it so very much oh wait i want to see it all right I'll, I'll start posting the link to you but it's the top says that the, just the text is or if you're yeah just pull up the reddit but it's uh the reddit meme town crossover episode uh When you ask your neighbor why they didn't destroy the space dock, they are blockading and they don't say anything. And then it's that cute, cheeky little picture of Frodo when he's talking to Gandalf at the beginning of Fellowship of the Ring. And he says, all right, then keep your secrets.
1: (laughs) Oh, it's very good. (laughs) That's very good. (laughs) 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 All right, well. Oh man, Meme Town does it again! Man, uh, uh, come on down to Board Game Geek uh, to check out our guild uh, to see what RoboFish is doing and if he wrote uh, his new special summary for yeah, the most recent episode. episode. Uh, <laughs> check out the calendar to see that it isn't a thing. Um, come on down to the to the to our Patreon uh, and be a Patreoner, uh, a Patreoner, if you will, mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. a a pat a patron. <laughs> You can be one of the patrons. Uh, obviously, actually, I can't believe Hi, I I'm just Pat found. I'm and I'm Ron. <laughs> I can't and believe we're I... here to sell you a car. We've been annoying people so long with that, and I can't believe I just found Pat Ron. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, you can be a Pat Uh This was a Pat Ron episode voted by the Galactic Council. That's true. Uh, that is, that's one of the many um, things that you could do on our Patreon. Um, <laughs> it's pretty great. You can you can play. Games with us. Hunter, this d-
0: episode is two hours and forty shh, minutes long. Shh,
1: shh. I, hey, I gotta push it. Uh, last <laughs> week uh, was the Space Kitty episode. It was the first, uh, actually, our first Space Kitty episode. I would say, in a weird way, was the one with John Page in the Jota Yen Paik Brotherhood. A proper
0: thing. Space Kitty episode coming up soon. Yes, I'm very yes. Excited about
1: he, that. he was kind of the inspiration for that whole yeah, um, model. Uh, but yeah, so there's a, you can check that out. There's a lot of good stuff on there. Um, check out our Discord. Uh, you can talk and stuff. Uh, lately, people have been talking about. Uh, how much I'm not on the Discord, <laughs> uh, which is now we've kind of entered that phase where I'm actually starting to feel guilty about it. There's like a point where I would joke about never being on it. And I was like, haha, this is funny. Uh, and, but now I just read something the other day of, some, of someone being like, uh, Hunter's never here. Like, that's like all it said. That's it just awesome. said Hunter's not here. Hunter's yeah. never here. Um, and, uh, uh, I'll, I'll work on it. Um, I'm busy. Okay. I'm busy. All right. Yeah, I'm definitely I I have, not busy. I don't have time to rules lawyer like, like Matt does. Um, but yeah, check out the discord. It's really fun. I've been spending more time on it because of the, uh, because the of the tournament, which is yeah. fun. Um, please rate us on your podcast app of choice. Uh, specifically Apple podcasts and iTunes is always great. Um, we love it. We love it. We love getting rated. Um, yeah. Hi, my name is Matt Martins, and
0: my friend Hunter Donaldson is a comedian in Portland, Oregon. Uh, and he's got some shows coming up uh, every single Thursday uh, at 8 p.m. at Ford Food and Drink. There's a show called Earthquake Hurricane, and it's a really fun show. You definitely got to go to it. Uh, he'll also be hosting Brunchbox at 8 p.m. at Hawthorne Theater, January 23rd. That's tomorrow, if you're listening to this episode, uh, when it
1: was released. yeah. Um, and we'd like to thank some uh, some patrons. <laughs> we've actually got a lot of patrons to thank today. Yeah, we've been
0: thanking all the players that are in games. I hope that's coming across. Uh, so go yeah,
1: ahead. and I'm sorry th- those of you that are players. And when we do the recaps, we don't do it's we I I maybe want to do a better job of us specifically. saying, a lot saying, of notes. Oh, so, and so and so and did and it. And, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, we're trying to get better about that in general. But um, let's just so here's the space kitties. We've got Jimbo V, Jimbov. Uh, we've got Dustin Doom. We've got Mac, the cartographer of chaos. Um, we've got Frederick. Durston. We've got Nathan Swenson. And we have Yin for Life. Yin for Life was also in one of the games. Um, And then, now let's thank everyone who played in the tournament uh, that we covered thus far, or that we covered today. Um, Mark, Joey, Alex, Pendle, Kraken, Zendog, Mark, Nathan, Jay, Carl, Randy, Steve, Yin for Life, Yin for Life, Yin for Life, Pink, (laughs) Tom, Milty, Randy, and Brad. Thank you. Whee! You, you Patrons, all of you. You guys are great. Good Patrons. All right, play of the week. Do this it. This play of the week is brought to you by just, The Nine of Spades. Just do it.
0: So I would like to think I'm a decent TI player. I'm over 50 games between TI3 and TI4, about a dozen on Tabletop Simulator in the last few months. However, based on this play, I need to find a new game. It was a four-player game between Sardak, Nalu, Muat, and myself as the Arborek. After round four, the score was close. Everyone at six, except the Nalu, who was at seven. Off the secondary of Imperial this round, I took a secret to win a combat against the player in the lead. So, I put Nalu in my sights. I had Mechatol, and I took Imperial in the strategy phase. In round five, I was poised for an action phase victory. Mechatol with Imperial for one point, I could score either of 2 stage 2 objectives, which were 16 resources or 6 command counters as long as I timed it properly, and I had an action phase secret. Normally on turn 5, there's only one stage 2 objective, but we had the agenda that had a second. Anyways, here's where my blunder cost me the game. I was so worried about holding mechatol and scoring the 2 pointer when I activated imperial that I pulled the trigger too early. I activated imperial, scored for mechatol, and spent my 16 resources. But as I watched my token move up the track to nine points, I also saw it skip right over Nalu's token. My stomach dropped as I realized I just cost myself the game as I would not be able to score my secret because I had just made myself the point leader. F. M. L. Nalu won in the status phase.
1: All right, cool, good, gotta go, bye. (laughs)